Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to Phil's Recap and Review. The Game of Thrones, Season 1, Episode 9, Baylor. And this episode was originally on June 12th, 2011. And on June 12th, 2011, the cries of a millions of people watching this episode all happening at the same time. Suddenly, at once, I heard the cries of a million people all at once. Yeah. Of a thousand souls, of a million yeah. souls dying. Somewhere Obi Wan Kenobi's going, damn shit! They didn't really just do that to Ned Stark, did they? Holy shit! Of course they did. Of oh course my. they did. And I, it, oof. Oh, it, it well, is, now I'm saying, of course I they did because of how far I've seen in the series. But right. if you're just seeing this for the first time, oh my. What did you just wow. watch? I, I have to admit, and before we get into it, uh, if you want to reach us, you can join us live in the chat right now. Just jump in. There's another chat room. If you can't get into the chat room at chatwing.com backslash I got issues, man. And you can find that description in the description box below because I know some of you are having trouble getting into a YouTube chat. So in that chat room will be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So feel free to jump in there anytime you want. You can also call us 781-990-8509. Leave a voicemail. Email me at I got issues, man. Follow Joe at Dirty Locks. Follow me at, at I got issues, man on Twitter. All those fucking things. But seriously, you're watching this episode for the first time. When I watched this episode for the first time, Joe, my mouth hit the fucking ground. I, I, I was like, they didn't just do that, did they? they it was... Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. Did, did they really just do that? And I started thinking it's a dream. You get that feeling similar to, uh, but different in the sense in Braveheart, like the first time you watch Braveheart. I know this is much more intense, but when you see Mel's wife get killed in that moment, for a second as she's looking over the over the hills, you, you think... You expect him to come out and like save the day. Right, you expect Mel to go all Mel eye, eyeball on people right there and come out and just like, oh, fuck you. I'm going to fucking Mel Gibson you right now. But Well, there are these galvanizing moments. It's like in John Wick. You want him to save the puppy. You need him to save the puppy. But he doesn't save the puppy. And, and it, that's the galvanizing moment that turns him into like your freaking champion when Mel Gibson's wife dies, when Ned Stark dies. And I got to tell you, that Sean Bean was the whole reason I ordered HBO in the first place. And I haven't, my subscription hasn't lapsed once since. And I, I got the series a little bit after it had finished the first season. I got HBO. And when I started watching it and it got to this episode, I was really kind of pissed. He was like, I was already pissed that the king was dead. He was the second biggest reason yeah. for me getting this, you know, HBO Mark Addy. Yep. Those two, yeah, Mark Addy. They were two actors that I was like, oh, great. This is going to be really good. A drama piece set in this period. I didn't know anything at all whatsoever about Game of Thrones. Never even heard of it. Just knew that these two actors were in it and I needed to see it. They killed Mark Addy. I was upset. I pressed on. I was like, okay, Sean Bean's going to take, you know, Ned Stark's going to do this shit. And then, boom, his head is lopped off. Yeah. My jaw's on the floor. And I'm just like, what the fuck? That's bullshit, man. I'm paying so much money for this uh -huh. series. But it just gets better. And then you hear this. You you suddenly hear this voice. Wait. Bring wait. me his head. Yeah, bring me... Yeah, bring what? his head. What? What? Wait, 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 wait. What? This kid, as we talked about before in this podcast, up we had until, a deal. Up bitch. until this point, we had a deal, motherfucker. And and seriously, uh, who is this little shit? Who is this turd that seemed like a turd up until this point, but not really dangerous or like he could really fuck with anybody? Well, now he's not just Prince Joffrey, who he's everything king, has to but go But even up until this. 
but he, gonna be king mm. or he is king but up until this point even as king you're like okay he's a little bit of a douche but he can't cause any real ha- harm oh, yeah. Cer- Cersei might be a crazy son of a bitch but she knows not to kill Ned Stark she knows that's a mistake Tywin won't kill Ned they know that that's not the brightest move in the uh, brightest move to do and then again suddenly you hear this douchebag with like bring me his head yeah, it, oh, yeah. just Don't shut bring you his head Fucking, what the hell? Oh, I really hope he taunts Sansa with that head. I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. He's not that mean. <laughs> okay, so Sam says, oh my God, it's Joe. I haven't seen you in a while. Sam also says, I hadn't read the books, listened to the audiobooks before watching season five. So this was a truly shocking moment when I first saw it. And the way the dead silence after the head fell, so chill. And I agree, and the way the episode ended. And again, I, I can't say enough, the very first time I watched it, I... I'm thinking to myself, is this a dream? Is this really happening? They can't kill this guy off right now. Because I'm watching this show. I didn't know anything about it before I watched season one. We've talked about this before. We've both gone back since watching initially and then going back and reading the books or with Joe and me listening to the audiobooks. And and it's to watching this for the very first time, this was the moment where Game of Thrones went from being a regular television show to a phenomenon. Who kills the main star? Who kills the main But I just the mean the, this is where the reaction videos started from, where you would get uh, pe- people that knew it was coming, that read the books, that were videotaping, people that were watching the show for the first time that knew this was coming, and you get like people's ridiculous reactions and going crazy. Oh my fucking God! You know, and it it further goes that way with you know. Oh no, he didn't. They they didn't really do that to Ned Stark. They can't kill Ned Stark. What's wrong with Ned Stark? I was I was very upset. My jaw was on. I was stunned and speechless. Oh my gosh! It was a fantastic moment in TV history, as far as and, I'm concerned. And Joseph, I've never really witnessed anything quite as as uh as transforming to a series and in, in, into in like. Not even on the final episode or a cliffhanger for the season. This was before the season ended. They killed off the main star, and it was it was painful. It was painful to watch. He was not just the main star, but he was the hero of the story so far. He was what was going to set Westeros right. He was going to become the ruler that Westeros needed, and we were going to see that. Like not just that, Joe. Camelot. I couldn't agree with you with uh, couldn't agree with you more and it was just so intense to see it for the very first time and not know what was coming and it's not just that it's easy to overlook the other stuff that happens in this episode the death of Ned Stark is almost an afterthought at the end of the episode after a whole bunch of other shit happens in this episode this is the episode that uh, that Danny loses her baby. Carl Drogo dies in this episode. Oh, Jamie gets captured in this episode. Uh, we get the big. Is it, this is this now. I didn't watch this last night or this week, unfortunately. Um, this all happens in this, this episode. The, this this is the episode with my favorite line, I believe, right? Or does uh, com- is this where we Ari is watching, right? Yes. Tries to run off at the at the end of the episode with the, and, with Ned, and uh, and the guy comes over. What's his name there from the Night's Watch? Yorin. Earlier, you know, you're not a smart boy, are you? I'm not a boy, I'm a girl. <laughs> That's like my favorite line. I love it. This is the moment where Arya, like, this is this is her Like, I love that character as well. You've heard me say it a million times. Maybe my favorite character. And, like, 
this is that moment where she's got to stand up. It's really hard to think too, in both in very different ways, that as much as, and we'll, we'll deal a lot more with that probably, no, we will deal a lot more with that in episodes yet to come about how the rest of the members of the family deal with what happens to Ned, but you really, really need to feel for the two girls who are both- They gotta watch it. They had to watch this. Horrible. And especially, I, I hate to say this, uh, because uh, Arya at this point already understands or is starting to understand the way the world works. So she almost looks at it wh horrified, but almost not expecting it. But no, she, she, she doesn't. She has absolutely no idea. But how I just, I really feel more for Sansa in this situation, though. Right. She has a That's little bit more of an idea of how the world works. But Arya, this is the moment where. She's going to decide how the world works and she's going to miss out on the whole other half yeah. of everything. Compassion, caring, um, being able to, I, you know, uh, I feel you, Joe, ultimately, and all these things, like, ultimately no, black and white for her from now on. It's going to be this one way to the world. From now on. Ultimately, this moment for, for Arya is is her watching uh, her parents get killed, is her Bruce Wayne moment. It's a spoiler alert for Batman, Bruce Wayne's parents get killed. <laughs> but it's her moment of watching her parents, her, obviously her father, but it's that moment, it's that intense to make her, to turn her into the quote-unquote Batman character that she becomes. Sansa, why I feel really horrible for her, for what she's gone through, but I feel most bad because the worst thing in the world to me is fucked up expectations. When you go into a situation and you're thinking it's going to go one way and it just goes the other direction. And Sansa went into this thinking, oh, Joffrey, jo and especially if we go a little bit into the books, Joffrey really loves me. He's going to protect me in this situation. He's the one. He Anything that's going wrong in this situation is all Cersei's fault. Joffrey's really a good person and ultimately this is a huge shock this is the wool being pulled over out from over her eyes for the first time her first real look at the horrible thing and it's a it's something that whatever you know well, we're she's not had she's had looks but she's been blind to it because right. all she wants is to be queen and joffrey's and, wife in a fairy princess joffrey. she doesn't care about who joffrey is at this point yet really uh She's starting to obviously because her dad was in prison for an episode, right? Yep, and uh, so. and a couple, yeah, a couple episodes now, or t uh, one, one, no, yeah, no, just one whole episode. Uh, Sam says, especially after she made the deal with Joffrey for her father's life, and even Cersei seemed like she was on board with it until she failed to stop their psychopathic psychopathic son. Y yeah, and it's worth mentioning again. We don't like to dwell too much with the books, but it's made even more of a factor that Cersei really is pushing the put bring send Ned Stark to the wall thing. She has basically orchestrated this mostly herself and it's a big, you know, I'm not going to kill you. She doesn't well, want she him. Knows, she knows enough to know that if they kill Ned Stark, it is going to start a rebellion and an uprising. Right. She hasn't quite taken all the cuckoo pills yet. She isn't quite down the, down the path <laughs> to bat the cuckoo palace. She's still, she's smart enough to know that exactly that killing Ned's, and Killing Ned Stark would not be the brightest move for their I'm war effort. I'm surprised anyone that listened to anything Joffrey said in that moment doesn't lose their head in the future in the next episode. It's worth it's, and that's a big question I have just to think about, and and it's stuff that's still left to be, you know, speculated that. How much was this all pre-planned? Did Joffrey, Joffrey obviously told some of his, told the Hound probably, or few people were prepared for what was going to happen here. Was this all 
Was this all a Littlefinger thing? Was this all orchestrated by Littlefinger? It's it's just interesting to look at this from a bigger end. Obviously, Varys. No, I don't think Littlefinger even wanted Ned Stark to lose his head in that moment. He wanted him to suffer more than that, and this puts uh, big. This puts a, a a wrinkle in his plans, at least I believe. Oh, with- um, and I think if if Cersei had just stepped forward, everybody was in shock that Jeffrey yelled. Joffrey yelled that if. You just basically ignore him. You remove any power he has in the future. He becomes a puppet king. There was a couple but, people that knew. Marin Trent sent, seemed to immediately know. And Ilan Payne knew. And Ilan Payne knew. Yeah, it seemed like Joffrey prepared them. And I bet the Hound probably knew as well. Of course, the Hound knew he was in the room for the conversations. Right. He, he which being his number one, his, his number one. So, his dog. His, yeah, his number one dog. So it seems like some of the people knew, but it, all of the main players of the Game of Thrones, so to speak, no one really wanted this play to happen. Var- Varys wanted to get Ned to play the game as we're going to get into when we talk about the beginning of our episode in a second here. Uh, Littlefinger, as I agree with you, Ned Stark being alive and being a chip to be played with back and forth and distract the Lannisters and all that. I'm sure he he would think... he. The way he thinks is he'll make do of any situation. Chaos isn't necessarily a bad thing for him. But he was probably like, oh, I didn't see this one coming. But Or some could speculate that Littlefinger had something to do with all of I this. I think Varys is upset about it as well. More upset than Littlefinger. Because Littlefinger doesn't like the Starks at all, personally as well. But- Varys, I think, looks at Stark like he was going to be a very useful tool in whatever Varys' plan was. It's interesting to mention, too, or it's important to mention that we talked about this a couple episodes ago about Varys when he was talking to Ilario in the dungeons, saying very loudly, so Arya, or not knowing Arya was listening, but so we could hear it, we can't just kill this hand. This hand isn't like the other. And meaning mm-hmm. Ned Stark has a lot of powerful friends. It will mess with whatever our agenda is to to get all the North uprising. As uh, Lynch Stroll, welcome the North will rise again. Critch, no, you just you just uh, immediate reaction to the episode. He hasn't really gotten into the recap yet. Uh, Sam, not really. We're just discussing what happened at the end of the episode, but didn't actually start the recap yet. Exactly. So that's a good point in time to just lead into our recap. I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about this stuff as we go. So the episode opens up. We start with. Very Varys visiting uh, Ned Stark in the dungeon, and again we get we get a little bit more of this in the books. But ultimately, I can't remember if I mentioned this in the last recap. Varys disguises himself for a very long time as a turnkey in the Red Keep dungeons. He, we they don't play it up as much on the show, but he's a master of disguise, and he's constantly. You know, doing the Leonardo DiCaprio thing from Catch Me If You Can. You're dressing up as other people and just, you know, conning his way into situations. And one of the jobs he's conned his way into is being a turnkey, being a guard in the prison. So that's why he can kind of just go in and out and talk to Ned and no one really bothers him because he's actually in disguise as someone that's i thought it was he knew the passages. He does, but he's also he also disguised himself as the turn as, as a turnkey. I actually just listened to that section of the audiobook the other day. So Varys visits uh, Stark in the dungeons under the Red Keep. He tells Eddard that Sansa begged for his life before the court, and Rob is leading an army from the north. And uh, it's a very, very fun scene with uh, Ned and Varys. I love the, the back and forth between the two of them, because they couldn't be di- more different people y- and different ways of looking yeah, at Ned things. Ned Stark is black and white as well, like... Um... There's right and there's wrong, and Varys sees all the shades. Exactly. There's, and, sh- there's 
is right. Yeah, you want to tell Cersei that she's, you know, gonna, you know, you want you want Cersei to pay. That's right. You know, you you don't want Joffrey on the throne. Cersei's not, but you know, he's not the actual king. But but you don't go up and tell her to prepare for being yeah. thrown out of the red well, key. What were you thinking? Do you, it. You just you know, do it, like, then you go back to Winterfell, or you go back, you go back, you leave, you go back to Winterfell, you swear loyalty to Joffrey, and go to Winterfell, and then start your plan from there when you're not in a dungeon somewhere. Ned, shut up. Ned, you like, really messed this all up. My role is to be sly, obsequious, and without scruples. So he comes in there and you're, you've seen better days. Another visit, it seems you're my last friend. So he tells him Sansa came to court and uh, he tells him he doesn't want him to die. And and then we get a very awesome story. Not I wouldn't say it was awesome, but Ned pushes Varys and Varys tells the story about when I was a boy before they cut my balls off with a hot knife, I traveled with a group of actors through the free cities. They taught me that each man has a role to play. The same is true in court. I'm the master of whispers. My role is to be sly and without scruples, I'm a good actor, my lord. Ned just doesn't get this. Ned Ned can't understand that concept. I love Ned Stark to death, but he just doesn't have the, does not have the capability to understand anything Varys is trying to say to him in this scene, to me anyways. He just doesn't get it, because Ned's like, can you set me free? <laughs> what? You? Oh, you're so much, you're so helpful to me. Why didn't you stand up when all my men were being killed? Are you right. seriously asking me that question? Right. What, with what army? What do you want me to do? You want me to throw my my uh, little sack of nuts at them? Yeah. What what are you what are you doing? No riddles, no story. Tell me what you want. He wants peace, and I agree. I think Varys does want peace. Did you but know- at what at what at what cost? At what price? Peace under whose rule? Okay. Peace this- with the whole uh, realm in in ruins, or peace with the whole realm under whose command? Some could argue, especially the show, more is basically all about a game of chess between Littlefinger and Varys. And ultimately, they both they both will use the same means to get their goals. But one's goal is chaos, one's goal is peace. And they both will go any path to get to those places. And ultimately, Varys, I believe him, like you just said, he wants peace, but he will destroy everything to get that peace, I think, personally. And he'll he would try to avoid it, he doesn't like the sight of blood. He doesn't want to hurt people when it really comes down to it. But anything to suit his his means. And it just happens to be his means is his definition of peace. We'll just have to see what that is as we further down our story. Excuse me. So Ned's like just kind of jokes. He, la- he scoffs off Rob's whole thing. And he says he's just a, bo- a boy. And uh, Varys says boys have been conquerors before. But the uh-huh. but the man that's giving Cersei sleepless nights is the king's late brother, Lord Stannis. And we yeah. get into Ned saying in in hammering in that Ned thinks the only person that has a true claim on the throne is Stannis. And it's Stannis's throne, and that's ultimately how things are. Yep. And he, he's 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 right. Um, unless Stannis was wise enough to step down. Or to step aside, like we we know has been done in the past with the Targaryen family in, in instances, like uh, Aemon. We've already heard Aemon's story, right? Do you think? But again, the biggest question in this situation is Ned picking the right time to fight these battles. Uh, no, of course not. Vaughn says he's, he's better. He's absolutely blinded by this 
honor and and uh, justice and what's right that he can't strategize enough. Like, ah, he's just blinded by the loss of his friend, the fact that his friend's been lied to all this time. In fact, he's been lied to. The realm's been lied to. He's so blinded by it all. He can't. He he's not thinking clearly at properly at all right. at all vaughn says he's better off at winterfell keeping guys like roose bolton in check than in king's landing with a political bullshit yeah he's he should be using roose bolton to his advantage in this situation right now and manipulating him to go do, like come back home call uh call some of the house some of the banner men call call the umbers call the boltons over and be like guys we need to you guys need to go on a mission for me and we need revenge on the south okay let's go kill southerners ha ha you and they would all be in for it. Critch, Ned is the male version of Sansa in uh, this time and place. He believes the myth of his time, honor and bravery, outrank cleverness, and deceit is dishonorable. Yes. Critch, yes. yes. Yeah. He thinks that him and Robert fought with honor and took the throne, and now we live in a happy fairy princess place because the Mad King doesn't exist anymore and everything is as perfect as it is in Winterfell when it really isn't at all. Things are not that simple. He's completely. You're. You're absolutely. And, and that's a, a great comparison because, uh, like Arya is an aspect of Ned's personality. Sansa is another complete aspect of Ned's personality. So is Rob. So is John's. Or maybe not. But yeah. So I think those two are more complete Neds. Or you know, and John's got even more be, because <laughs> of the fact that. You know, he wasn't treated nice at all ever growing up. You know, he's got the 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 privilege without position and really kind of minus the privilege when it comes down to it in his house. We have a so we have he's a, got a better aspect of the world. But John, I mean uh Rob is like a, a mirror of Ned. In a lot of ways. And and uh Farcloud, interesting point by Farcloud. Why didn't Varys know what Joffrey was like before he became king? Sam says I think he did know, but his capacity couldn't do much to prevent him. Farcloud says he should have poisoned him long before. <laughs> they could have solved all the problems. Yeah, or, or Batman should have thrown Joffrey off nobody the roof. Nobody saw nobody saw Except for uh, Tommen. Rob, I mean Nobody saw the king getting killed by a uh, freaking boron right uh, right they probably thought they had more time saw that they probably had more time to solve this problem and i think nobody thought i think cersei even mentions this at some point later that people always knew joffrey had issues and problems and in the, in the book robert gets into it a little bit more about joffrey's issues and understanding what kind of person he is uh i think i think uh he kills a lot of Tommen's cats things things like that but ultimately it's one thing to to just look at it it's another thing to think it would really manifest itself in this grand of a fashion and maybe they thought he had enough time to outgrow it by the time robert finally did uh did make you gotta, him king. you gotta imagine too and i want to amend my statement not nobody saw it coming i think cersei and maybe lancel saw it coming but um yeah no they she joffrey spent most of his childhood being brought up at his mother's side part of what his problem is you know, she kept a close watch on him to a point. Now that he's a little older, he's off wandering around with the hound, getting into trouble, causing mischief. But, you know, it would have been, it's very hard to get at Joffrey, especially with the hound always by his side or him always near his mother getting mothered and shit. So, mm. so it is, uh, and yeah, and having someone like Cersei as your main influential force and, and being someone that's already predisposed, uh, 
to killing cats and doing other horrible things that Robert had caught him catch him caught him doing. It's it's safe to say you can understand what that was the perfect hotbed for this kind of douchebaggery for someone like this that's going to feel this entitled and have the bloodlust within him. So so it's like the perfect marriage of he's worse than like the mad king when he was first king wasn't so mad it was just craziness in the targaryens joffrey's hitting the ground running he had if if he keeps going if no one stops this little son of a bitch he has potential to be the worst king of westeros history or the most vicious king in all of westeros westerosian history agreed uh, critch says also varus might favor a weak king but not so soon yeah his he has a plan that has a certain timetable on it, and he doesn't want to rush that plan. He has patience, and we'll see again. We'll see as time goes if we learn more about what Varys's true plan is. Okay, so ultimately, to top off this scene, uh, it's a very interesting reaction where Varys is trying to get Ned to fight for his life, and we talked about this a lot, a little bit before. But ultimately, he's he's like, listen. You need to just you need to go and admit this in public to everybody. You need to you need to admit Joffrey is the true king and and say shit like this. I come before you to confess my treason in the sight of gods and men. You have to get up in front of everybody and go deal with it. And someone's gonna yell shame, shame, shame at you, or something like that. Does he uh does he ask for the black in that speech? No. No. That's the one thing he should have said, too. No, Varys mentions it, though, uh, that Cersei will allow him to... If you do all that, Cersei will allow you to go take this... Live up there with your bastard son. And Ned's reaction to that is... You think my life is some precious thing to me? That I would trade my honor for a few more years of what? You... And oh, that says a lot about what he sent John to. But forget about that. You grew up with actors. You learned their craft and you learned it well. But I grew up with soldiers. I learned how to die a long time ago. And Varys turns to him and goes, pity. And then such a pity and walks away, gives him one last stare, long pause and goes, but what of your daughter's life, my lord? Is that a precious thing to you? As the, as the screen hushes to back. It's just this what the fuck scene as Ned looks and goes, you fuck, you bastard. Like, he's blaming, again, his biggest pro- he, he's blaming Varys for this. Varys isn't doing anything. Varys is giving him options. He's trying to save his children's life in this situation. It, it's not his fault that Joffrey ends up going cuckoo canuku and, and, fucking the whole, and fucking the whole plan up, but whatever. Varys also knows, uh, Varys also knows that with Ned alive, it keeps war at bay. Yep. It's not just about his daughters. It's, it, you know, he really needs Ned Stark not to be beheaded here. Yes. So we get a, uh, after that scene, a l- little bit more stuff happens at that scene, but basically it's just back and forth of them going. So then we get the music creeping off. We get a big swoosh of darkness coming over Ned Stark. Start to hear Nero's violin in the background. <laughs> and I love all the lead up in this episode as the the under theme, the Game of Thrones, is, it's, is almost to this entire episode leading up to the big climax that happens at the end of this episode. And it's just a, you just wait. This is coming back later, and it's not going to be good. So we go to uh, a crow. It's it's not Katie, but it's Theon shoots yeah. down. Oh. Katie shoots down one of Katie's brothers, and uh, and we have a we have a scene with the Cart Stark, uh, Theon, Catelyn, Roderick Payne, and they're shooting down any of the crows that are going to or coming from the twins to make sure Walda Frey doesn't doesn't read about anything that's going on. 
and they just keep shooting him down and we get this whole scene interacting with them about the phrase. This is where we learn a lot more about Walter Frey and how he didn't show up at the Trident until it was who was decided the winner and that expect nothing from him and you'll you'll be you'll won't be disappointed. The phrase are your bannermen to the our bannermen to the Tullys, Catelyn's family, and they're kind of the worst. They make the Boltons look like look like good bannermen. They're just they're just bad. At least we're presented them as bad people. What's your no, opinion they're, of they're, my opinion is uh, they Walder Frey basically or his family built these twins and have been exacting tolls for six hundred years. Yep, from the south and the north, and that you know when. Ever I have to go over the Tobin Bridge, I say, man, this shit's been paid for over again. Why am I? Why are we still paying for it? Like the 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 big dig, man. That stuff was paid for. Why are we still like you're gonna? How long are we gonna pay for that forever? You know, <laughs> it's uh, it makes you bitter. You don't want to pay tolls every time you go into New Hampshire on 95. You got to pay a toll, but they don't got to pay one to come down to us. It's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. So uh. I feel like I, I feel like everybody's resented him so much and has looked at him like his wealth has come from not the 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 most um you know noble of ways. He's kind of extorted people to be able to go north and south for so long. The family that he's not the most noble of lords, and so he feels that, and he doesn't want to you know, throw his full loyalty any, any which way, because they've been looked down on for so long by all the other nobility. Yep. And, and you get that feeling, uh, says I tried to play with, uh, maps there. No, that was good at you. I try, I tried. I, I'll, I'll, I'll try to prepare that stuff for next time to, to actually have stuff. I, I just actually Googled that up and yeah, get br- it. bring that, bring that back up real quick. Okay. One second. It's going to take a second. Or I could pull the, I could pull the map down here. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see. I was jumping the chat room for a second. Yeah, if anything, Varys is probably Ned's only front. Trigger warning before you mention the phrase. I got post-traumatic stress disorders as Lynch troll. Sam says, "Oh, believe me, I uh, yeah, I go I go to school and resentful of that bridge troll. Yeah, but goes to school over a bridge and and resentful of those bridge trolls, bridge trolls, bridge tolls. And I know Lynch troll. I hate the phrase more than any other family." Such like little little vicious sons of bitches, and 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 you get that feeling right from the uh, right from the right from the beginning when we meet him. So yeah, the twins are right here along the river, and because of the marsh and the mountains, there's really only one way through with the King's Road, and they extract extract the toll. So you can't go up and down the river without paying the toll from them. You can't you can't use the road, and this bottleneck it really. You know, supplies got to get back and forth. People got to travel back and forth. So they don't really like them, you know. The uh, Winterfell's a couple hundred miles north. King's Landing, a couple hundred miles south. You know, he so he could either be loyal to the the Tullys in the Riverlands, or he can be loyal to the Starks in the north. And he'd prefer to be a lord like the Tullys or the Starks and kind of be that powerful. I- but he's... 
But I hate to say it though, if you have it, fuck people over for, I mean, I don't, I don't want to, I'm, I'm using this opportunity to jump on his side for, uh, and, and actually, actually support him. But you get a feeling like he gets disrespected and shit on too. What came first, the dickery or the shitting on him for being the guy that's it collecting is, the toll? It's not just that he gets shit. It's, it's also goes a little further than that too. Tell me about you, it. I want to hear about the shit baggery of him. You, you have him. He's had like, he's like in his eighties or nineties. He's an old man at least late seventies. I, I forget exactly. He's had, I don't know, 15, 20, 25 wives or some shit. A bunch of them die in childbirth. A uh, bunch of like, and I think he marries like his granddaughters and shit because a lot of the Lords don't want to like send their daughters to this old man who's still fathering sons that aren't going to have any place in the future, Ooh. you know? And, and, He's doing this as part of his tolls. He he like he like he has so many sons that need to be married. So he's always pressuring the area lords to send him uh, daughters to marry his sons. And then they he's got so many daughters. <laughs> no, I'm having... I was honestly I was just arguing. But I wanted to I wanted to get you to go in a fray rant like that. Perfect. I mean that, that's just some of the examples of the di- like he's just his seed is everywhere. Like, uh, I don't want to the area lords Dude. they don't want to send their, their firstborns to marry his like eighth born daughter and like so so like he's got a bunch of daughters that can't find wives that he doesn't have dowry and money to send with these women to go marry other lords and everything so oh gross uh let's jump in the chat a little bit here oh we got our good friend red team review i i have everything game of thrones related shirts dvds a pine glass but no fucking map i need to hit up ebay and welcome red and it's red's birthday. oh happy birthday carmine Good to see you, and I'm sorry that you're sick, dude. I uh, hope you feel better, my friend. Uh, Critch says, imagine Ned on the wall, given his proclivities for honesty and duty. How long before the rapers and thieves... <laughs> what do the rapers and thieves do to him? And uh, Walter Frey will die by Arya's hand, says uh, Carmine. I know that would make Joe very, very happy to see that as the ultimate end to Walter Frey. And I think a lot of people would love to see that as an end. And I think that would be... Uh, I, I want to say... I've. I've heard this before, and some people say that would actually be a really interesting way to just end the entire series with Arya killing Walter Frey. I, I would love to see that happen. That that would make, give me so much joy. Uh, Red Team also says, marrying a Frey, marrying Bin Laden's ugly daughter. <laughs> In the books, they make him sound like backwater rednecks, but they're mostly gross except for that one hottie that Ed Miriam ends up marrying. I love I love in that scene when Kat eventually comes out and Rob's like, you got to look at any of them and just, they're just all giggling. And she's like, well, one of them wasn't completely disgusting. Phil and audience members. Do you have to run, Joe? Nope, not quite, but I am going to unplug my headphone. Uh-oh. Uh, Katie is in the room and would like to listen in the... Okay, if it starts to echo, though, I'm going to have to ask you to plug it back in because I can't deal with the audio crap. Yep. Okay, so... Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You got you you gotta gotta to stop that. Stop it. You got to stop that. I can't... We can't do that. That can't happen. I'm sorry, Katie. <laughs> I, cannot, I cannot live like that again, Joe. I refuse to live that way. <laughs> is that okay? The, 
as long as uh, I can't hear myself, I'm fine. Okay, so my father would like to, uh, so we, we get we get basically everyone pressuring Rob to go and talk to Walter Frey, but, but, and he's like, I'll do it, but they're like, no, you can't go and do it because I'll end up selling you to the Lannisters. And Kat ends up stepping up in this situation and deciding to, to actually go and, and, and handle the business in this situation. Do you like that Kat steps up to be the one that deals with this? Uh, Joe walked away for a second. Did, I like that Kat steps up in this situation. It shows we get to this point where Kat is making some. I think she she knows that she's the one that's best suited to handle Walter Frey. I know she's doing it to protect Rob, but I think it's a smart move. <laughs> Lynch Stroll says, I have a Walter Frey wedding planner shirt. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think, do you, are you. Do you think Cat made the right decision? Do you think everyone made the right decision letting Cat be the one to talk to talk to the phrase? Yeah, I mean, there's history between the Tully family and the Stark family. She's been a lot around a long time. I'm sure she was shocked to the to the Walder family for a little bit. Um, so, I certainly think it's better she talk or someone other than Rob talk. But it can't be a lower a lower lord, because I think that would be insulting to the fray. So, it's got to be a Stark, and if it were Rob, I think Walder would get the better of him, because Walder is very cunning. He's sharp, even though he's old, and he's bitter. And Rob will would probably say or do something he would really regret right he's young and as the new king of the north if you think about it a rickon as it's funny when you say rick because i have walking dead in the mind i'm like thinking rick grimes <laughs> coming into westeros uh, i'm making carl my uh, no uh rickon as the new king in the north if you think about it brand is a cripple rob is dead Arya is a faceless man and sansa is sansa rickon is the last capable stark and the last capable male Stark. I could absolutely see that happening. And I I think it's obvious, well, it's obvious that he needs to play some sort of a part in the end game of what's going to go on. And he is going to come back and him and his wolf are going to be a factor in something to do with the action that happens in the North. I think he is the more likely candidate to be the Lord of Winterfell and possibly the the king in the north. I I think it makes a lot of sense. I definitely think that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> bum bum bum. Part one went poof. Yes, it just disappeared. I don't know what happened there. YouTube wanted to stop us, or it was Joe knowing he had to go, so he wanted to end things off with a bang and just make the whole uh, whole thing explode. No, we're having technical difficulties. Do you know what I really blame? I blame the fact that I did that screen share shit where I showed the map on the screen where I got the like the digital map up there. I think it just like crashed the system because my computer was like, cannot handle this. Cannot handle all the pressure. I believe he is coming back for season six. I don't know if that's confirmed. I'm trying. This is this is a weird thing. And it's a bigger issue before we get back into our recap. Uh, just about Game of Thrones in general. That it's. It, there's a lot of freaking information out there right now. I had to sort of shut myself off from it from a certain point in time. And I know I'm somebody that comes up there and babbles about Game of Thrones. So I should probably look at all of it, make videos about, hey, talking about it and stuff. But I'm trying to 
I still look at things a lot of times like straight up fan ways and I don't want to Game of Thrones is one of those things that I don't want to be spoiled and I don't mind knowing some information but it's getting freaking carried away everything every single day another piece of information some another uh, piece of uh, another clip from another piece of film I like little tidbits that can make me curious but I don't like that I'm knowing I'm starting to know so much about what's going to happen in season six so I've sort of had a uh, shut myself off to it Kaylana uh, and I were talking about this on Twitter and she's the same way sort of having to shut off shut off the back noise of it all a little bit because I want to be surprised and I don't want to have like these expectations of that I know it's going to happen I'm actually excited this is the first time that I have no book knowledge or nothing and I'm just kind of going into something like who what could possibly happen here so, uh, so I'm curious. So I'm trying to stay a little bit away from that stuff. It's hard though, because, because a lot of it's really interesting and there's a lot of cool people that I know that are talking about it and I'm, and I'm listening to them talk and I'm like, Oh God, do I want to know this or do I not want to know this? Or people are sending me, uh, friends are sending me emails about stuff that's going on in the set and I'm excited about it. I want to keep getting those emails, but part of me is like, uh Oh, Confirmation, big XYZ happening to big XYZ and big and uh, man number A is fighting man number Z in the epic battle of all time. It's happening. I, I kind of I'm trying to keep keep my way away from it. Crit Sansa mounts the Iron Throne figuratively. Arya is her Varys. Jon is the Hand. Danny rules the East as Khaleesi and uh, Mother of Dragons. And Rickenhold Winterfells. I'm the same way. Got my favorite shows. I like to enter and experience everything for the first time. But it's so tempting to see all the spoilers from the set. It really is. It, it's 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 a very difficult and exciting time to be a fan of Game of Thrones because all the people that have read the books first and all those the book people are at a end to what what is going to happen and waiting for this the next book us and the show people were virtually at the same place even though this season's going to go back and do a lot of uh, the feast of crow stuff that they skipped over but it's still the future and we're all at this place where we don't really know what's going to happen and it's really exciting and I want to be in the midst of that I don't want to just know everything that's going to happen right away. I don't want to just go into it and just be expecting it. Like there's some shows that I don't mind that because it's about the ride and with Game of Thrones it's about the ride too, but it's also about uh especially with the books and if they have any knowledge about things that are going to happen in the books. George does such a good job of 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 surprising you with that stuff and really catching you off guard. I don't want to know it before I read it or see it. But anyways, Chris says, I watch all the spoilers. <laughs> the long distance grainy video reminds me of the porno of my youth. I've watched it too. I, I guess that I've now started to stray away now that there's a little, uh, I'm going to make this a separate video because this little section, again, this is all, if you want to step away for a little bit, step away for a little bit. This is going to be spoiler. I'm going to cut this all up later and uh, and end up just posting the recap part as a separate thing. So I'll talk about this for a second. But now we're getting into like, what, five, four, three, you have a few seconds to get out of here. Five, four, three, two, one. If you're here, anything from this point on, it's your own fault. Get ready to block it. Last chance. Wait a few minutes. Okay, here we go. The, all the John and Ramsey stuff and how like that's all being hinted at right now, I, like knowing that that's already coming excites me and I'm glad to know it. But I also some part of me is like, oh, do I really want to know that? Proceed with caution any further. Proceed with caution any further. Because 
or just er just everything that's everything that's going to happen. I'm just I want to be as surprised as I possibly can. But then I am exactly like Critch. I can't help myself but looking into it and reading it. And every time I see a video, clicking on it and watching it, I'm as brainwashed as everybody by this stuff. And or or not brainwashed. I'm. I'm hungry. I'm filled with salivated as everybody with all this stuff that's going to ha that's being talked about. But then again, I can't remember anything quite being like this and things being this crazy with the spoilers and and all the information that we're getting. Uh this is this is like never before. It's very interesting. I'm listening yeah, I'm listening to the books after their seasons end so the books don't spoil anything for me. So, okay, so Sam probably skipped the last few minutes. Danger Will Robinson, danger. <laughs> danger, 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 run for the hills. And I don't know, like all the stuff that we're seeing now about this fight, I, it's going to be very fun to see this season and I've also got a little bit here's one last little spoiler that I've heard I've heard that there's one scene that alone cost about 25 million dollars and it's kind of a short-ish scene so that seems to be that there's going to be some huge cg or a huge big battle with with thousands and thousands of extras it's we know a lot about what's going to be happening in season six and it's going to be fun to watch regardless but i do want something surprised for me and and it seems like already a lot of these spoilers have have uh have have messed not messed things up but have already declared some things that everybody probably already re realized or thought like john's fate which is kind of an obvious thing when there's no way john snow's dead and i think most people anyone that thought that would think john snow's dead it I, it's funny in the with talking to some book people leading up to that I'm surprised how many people do actually think or thought up until the season and up until all of this that, yeah, John did die in the books. And some of these spoilers are like, oh, they fucking spoiled the books for me. Go figure. I always thought even when, because I, because in that section, I read that in the book before I, or listened to it before I saw it on the show. I always thought he warged into Ghost is what I always thought happened. But on the show, obviously, that probably didn't happen. Okay. So... <laughs> I guess that's enough of that. That's enough of that. Well, let's let's get back into this episode and we can talk more about season six speculation stuff as we get closer. Joe, Kate, and I will do a podcast about that. Spoiling is over. If you're if you're listening now, spoiling is over. I it's it's hard to tell because I don't know when you're coming back in. La 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 Lynch Troll. At this point right now, when I'm saying your name, Lynch Troll, spoiling is done. So skip to the, so is in the chat, tell them to skip to the furthest point in the video and you'll be fine. So back to this situation. He says, uh, <laughs> yeah, and this isn't spoiler. So you got to wonder if these fans work for the CIA, better yet, NASA satellites for repositioning over sets. Yeah, they're getting some, they're getting in there, hiding in the woods. You got to, you got to respect that kind of effort. Oh my gosh. Okay. It feels weird going back in time here, but let me get back in the DeLorean and go back to 88 miles per hour back in time. Zoom, zoom, zoom. So enter the twins alone and they'll sell you into the dungeons or they'll slit your throat. Rob says my father would do whatever it takes. And if I want my army to get through, there's no getting out of this. We need to go suck, suck, <laughs> suck his kneecaps. Go uh, kiss Walter Frey's ass. And this is where Kat steps up. I was a girl who wouldn't harm me. Well, unless there was a prophet in it. And they continue. 
So then we get to see Kat and Walter Frey talking together, which is a really, really funny interaction between the two of them. <laughs> Why aren't you playing, quote? I have audio clips and it's not playing, you fucking son of a bitch. You fucking son of a bitch audio. Is there somewhere we can talk? <laughs> We're talking now. And he is a he's a funny guy. Like they have the they have the guy playing him is the guy who plays uh forget the character's name in Harry Potter, but he plays a dick in Harry Potter too. And he's he's perfect for the part. And he you walk right in there, she goes into a hall, and there's just tons of his family all sitting around watching. And it seems like they're used to this kind of treatment and they're used to the way he treats other people. He's just like, what do you want with so much contempt? And Kat's trying to play the game. It's such a pleasure to see you. And she's like, spare me. Your boy's too proud to come in here and see me. Supposed to. What about how am I supposed to do with you? And uh, and one of his sons goes, uh, father, show her some respect. And she's like, fuck you. I don't have to throw her some respect. And I need I need lessons in courtesy from you, your bastard. Your mother would still be a milkmaid if I hadn't squirted her into your belly. Whoa. Holy shit, what kind of guy is this? It's really fun to listen to and uh, and 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 learn about this guy. And just for the first time, he's just really fun. The actor is kicking ass and enjoying himself to to the nth degree on 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 screen. You can just see it must be so much fun to play this kind of a dick. And he is just eating up every second of it. And he just rules in this scene. And just seeing him with all of his family and the back and forth between him and his family, it, it really is hilarious. And this episode, especially this section of this episode, is very funny. This leading into the scene with Rob and his camp. It's some pretty funny shit. Flinch, thank you. Or Finch. Filch. Filch. Thank you. Filch. Yeah, back to episode nine. Kat knows what a prick Walter Frey is, and she's smart that she went in for Rob. The actor's name is David Bradley. Thank you. Yeah, he's the janitor in Harry Potter. Thank you so much for that. Yep, and David Bradley is good at playing a miserable bastard. He is so good at it. He's one of those actors, and there's just some actors that are tremendous at playing this kind of dick, and he's one of the best. He really is, and you just have so much contempt for him the minute you see him on screen. And I don't like this guy. Nope. And then eventually he grabs Kat's hand and he kisses her. And even kissing her on the hand is freaking gross. He, he, he like licks her hand. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's so gross. Did you ever wonder? Whoops, sorry. Wrong, wrong, wrong one. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's, it's just, it's just gross. And Cat asks if they can talk alone, and he kicks everyone out. He slaps one of them on the one of his the one of the girls on the ass as she's walking out. And you see that little flower, her she a little flower. I think he said she's like twelve years old or something. I I didn't get the exact quote down. And a little flower in her honey's all my like if we needed more of scumbag Walter Frey, he's got a. Uh, it's just it's just disgusting the way he puts it, and he's just all like. <laughs> Oh, he's such a gross little dirty old prick. Oh my gosh. I in cats in cats cats uh, support, she's really trying to hold this together. She's really trying to be uh be respectful to him and give him the kind of treatment that she feels like he wants. I'm sure he'll give you I'm sure she'll give you many sons. And he's just like, "What?" 
Your father didn't come to the wedding, and oh, he's sick. He didn't come to the last one. Your family always pisses on me. Your family thinks they're better. Your husband's in the Red Keep. Why should I help your son outside? Cat's like, well, he's got like all these soldiers outside. And he's like, I don't give a shit about those soldiers. They're a bunch of dead people, if you if you ask me. Uh, Joffrey's the king now, which makes your boy and his corpses to be nothing but rebels. Now, if I had God's sense, I'd hand you all over to the Lannisters. Now, why don't I do that? You know, why don't I do that? Because none of you families mean shit to me. You're all the same. You all treat me like crap. You don't respect me. Who's going to show me the respect I deserve? What do, what, do, what do you have for me? What do you have for me? What, what about my family? And then it cuts. And we're left to imagine what happens next and what kind of deal or what kind of situation Walter Frey will want and what kind of long-term effects this might have on our story. <laughs> Excuse me. So... Then we go to the wall where Mormon and John are talking, and uh, John has hand is somewhat recovering from last week and that whole big thing with the dead bodies <laughs> coming back to life and attacking Mormon and ghosts saving the day. So uh, Mormon wants to know when he'll be able to use this hand and how long Eamon thinks before he'll be able to use it. He thinks it's good, and this scene's all about Mormon presenting to John his family sword. And it is it is called Long Claw. It's a Valerian steel sword. He has uh, changed the end of it, the hilt of it, the pummel, excuse me. Instead of a bear for the house Mormont, he changed it to a wolf for him. And he's really happy he did this. You can tell Mormont's really excited he did this. He wants to pay this as a gift for him because he doesn't have any... Because uh, his son, who we know is Jorah, who we've met already over on the other side of the pond, over there in Essos... Before he had to leave Westeros because of the problems he had, he had enough honor to leave the family's sword. So Mormon feels at least he did that. And I want to pass on the sword to somebody and my son isn't going to have kids. He's exiled or he exiled himself and isn't coming back. So I might as well give it to you because you're the closest thing to a son I have and you saved my fucking life. And you'll actually make use of this sword. So here, take it. And it's really nice of Mormon, and I forget when I go back and rewatch, there's certain times you forget certain characters and how much you like certain characters. Mormon and the actor that plays him, who we talked about Braveheart earlier, is also in Braveheart, playing uh, one, of, one of William Wallace's men. I don't know the actor's name, but he... He is just, he has a lot of passion to him. I, I really love this actor and I love his performances and I enjoy every time he's on screen. And I think you forget so much of what happens and what's packed into season one until you go back on your rewatch. And going back and rewatching this episode specifically, this, they really crafted this episode knowing that this is going to be one of the most watched episodes of Game of Thrones and knowing what they eventually lead to in this episode. And there's just so much awesome stuff happening in this episode. Here's another part of this, uh, another part of change and progression here of, uh, of John getting his Valerian steel sword that, if we hop into modern times, may become very useful later on in his life. So... It's very interesting to see this, and it's very exciting to see these points in this episode right now and seeing how this all progresses. I really love this. <laughs> yes, and Lady Mormon is 10 ruling bears, uh, ruling bear island in the old ways. Yeah, I remember lo loving Old Man Mormon a lot. Probably was my favorite night, Night's Watch member. Excuse me. Sorry, I have the hiccups today. <laughs> Someone scare me, quick. It's, it's almost Halloween. I'm almost ready to be scared. 
But I get the uh, I get the hiccups. <laughs> and water's just making it worse. Okay, so so it's a really awesome scene that eventually leads to John smiling. Oh my god, early John Snow smiling is a rare occurrence, and we get him smiling in this scene as he tries to refute it, but ultimately relents and takes the sword, and it's a really big deal for him as he comes outside to the yard to many cheers and fanfares of the people, except for Rast, who's really pissed off about the situation and kind of walks away in the huff. But everyone else is very, very happy. They all want to get a look at the sword. Let me, let me see it. See, 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 see. Let me see it. But except for Sam. Now, Sam is sitting on the bench looking very, very sad. So John leaves the sword with a bunch of guys throwing it around that in no way could cut themselves in a Valerian steel sword throwing it around like that. But they're all playing grab ass with the sword. And John goes over to Sam and he's like, listen, dude, what's going on? Tell me what the hell you have to say. What's up here? And Sam's like, I'm really not supposed to say. And but he's like, no, I'm really not supposed to say. Say it, Sam. I'm really not supposed to say. Fucking say it, dude. I'm really... Okay, I'll say it. And he says... He ultim- they start talking. He goes, I'm not supposed to say. Long pause. There was a raven uh, to Master Eamon. It was from your brother, Rob. And immediately, John's mood changes. He's like, what? And uh, he's setting- heading south with all of his bannermen that have rallied to his side. They'll keep him safe. And John, completely miserable. Like I, I wrote in my notes, almost sad, but totally sad. Miserable that he's not there. But what I wonder is, is he sad because he wishes he could be there to protect his brother or that he's not there to get the quote unquote glory with his brother? I think it, I know, I definitely think he wants to protect Rob and thinks he should be there by his side to protect him. And he's thinking, oh shit, all he's got is Theon. Oh God. And, and he really would, but I believe probably some of it too is the glory to fight for House Stark and thinking that he would never have an opportunity to do that and being where he was. And it's, you, I feel bad for John in this moment because, because you can tell how much he really does love Rob and how much he really does love his father and how he wanted to go fight for him in one situation when he first heard about it from, and now hearing this is just another thing that's, it's, it's taking a lot of strength for him not to run and not to go. Yeah. I really feel for John. He has, a, he has a big heart. And and we get grumpy John a little bit here, like blah 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 in his scene with Eamon as when we'll get to it here. But and you can you can I definitely can emotionally understand where John's coming from. And it's a hard situation. Really difficult. It's 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 everyone knows that feeling when you make a decision and you make it, and then right after you make that decision, something else happens that's like, oh shit, I should have done that instead. Damn, why did I sign up to go here? When, why did, I, why did I sign up for that class when I could have signed up for the 1030 class and that hot fucking girl or guy I want to make, I want to get with is sitting right next to me in that class or would have been sitting right next to me because that teacher does alphabetical or whatever, you know what I'm saying. And you're like, damn, why the fuck did I do that? Why did I buy that when it goes on sale next week? And John's got a, a big amount of a buyer's remorse. I'm just saying, yes, referring to the same skull and uh, and not Robert's hand on Cersei's cheek. The, the one is sound clapping. <laughs> you, I, you gotta, I feel really bad for him. So then we go to a great visual of, of the, in this scene, a great visual in the twins of Cat and riding. And it's a very awesome visual. I really do like it. And Come on, guys, let's not lose our heads. The sounds of one hand's clapping and not Robert's hand on Cersei's cheek. 
Sam says the video's frozen again. Oh, please refresh. I hope it is not frozen again. That would really, really suck. Yeah, referring to the same skull. Oh, the one at Crafter's Keep. Mind if I fill that skull full of gin and from Gin Alley? <laughs> Maybe you could drink from something from the hiccups from someone's skull. Oh, sorry. I missed a lot of the, uh, <laughs> a lot of the chat. I'm jumping back in, guys. So, ultimately, after... Lady Stark talks to Walter Frey. She comes out, and we get a really awesome visual, as I mentioned right when we're getting disconnected, of Cat riding back to Rob's Bannerman. It's it's just again, you you it's easy to forget because this this show is so good with the <clears throat> so good with the story, so good with the dialogue, so good with individual acting that the aesthetic value of this show, like the music and the cinematography, they do a kick-ass job in, right off the bat in this season one and as the end of this first season hits. So many great moments of just little touches of sound design or or music, sound designer music, sound designer, a visual cue here, a visual cue there that just adds so much just substance and depth to every moment of Game of Thrones. And it's why I put Game of Thrones, if I'm ranking my, you know, just best put together television shows is up there in the in the top echelon just because of things like that, because everything just fits together so perfectly. Mm -mm. And uh, so so she comes back and she starts talking to Rob. And this is a scene I wrote. I wrote in. <laughs> I wrote in my notes, it's a very, it's a scene that's almost all played for humor in a lot of ways. Cat's, Cat's like, yeah, he said we can cross. He's going to give us all of his men. Everything's going okay. Yada, yada, yada. And, and just, you can see, I think it's, I think it's a great job. Umber and Cardstar, they're just like, get these looks in their face. Like, okay, but come on, get to it. Get to it. Get to it. What the fuck? I don't understand. One of them even says in the scene, I don't understand. What, what are you saying here? And ultimately, she gets to it. What does he want in return? You'll be taking his son, Oliver, as your personal squire. Expects a knighthood. Good, 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 good. There is something else that isn't mentioned here, but it's in the books. Also, two of his grandsons or his sons, I forget what they are. Someone in the chat can probably easily correct me. Have, go to Winterfell to and Bran and Rickon are forced to like hang out with them all the time and stuff. And Rickon actually likes them, but then Shaggy Dog attacks one of them and turns into a big brouhaha. It, there's a whole side story with Bran and a couple of Freys, which are fallouts because of the situation too. And I believe they're called Walta and Walta. And but I forget if they're his sons or his nephews or his grandsons. Someone uh, someone can probably correct me pretty easily about that. So Kat ends up getting into this whole thing about what Rob needs to do. And and he needs to do all this. And Arya will marry his son Waldron when they both become of age. Rob thinks this is funny. Arya won't like this. She won't be happy. Theon's very much enjoying all this too, smiling. <laughs> and when the fighting's done... You will marry one of his daughters, whichever you prefer, is a number that he thinks will be suitable. We talked about this scene earlier, and uh, Carmine from Red Team Review was was mentioning how, especially in the books, his daughters are talked about to be like really, 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 really gross. And except for maybe like one of them, the one that ends up marrying Edmure. And and she's like, and we get that here where Kat's like, yeah, yeah mm, I did look at them. Mm -hmm. And one of them is and people kind of look on very curious to see how Rob will will uh, react to that and what Rob's reaction will be to that. And Rob says, "You th do I consent? Can I refuse? 
not if you want to cross. And then he gets that look on his face like, well, my father do. And my father would marry you, Cat. So he would agree to do anything. No, I love Cat. And ultimately, he consents. And we see, we see the twins. We see a long visual shot just to go connect to what I was saying at the beginning. Another really great visual action moving scene of all the men crossing the twins. And just the visual act of it all happening to symbolize the passage of a good amount of time that's supposed to go through in this moment. Let's uh, jump into the chat for a second. Little and Big Frey, God, I hate them. Yeah, talking about uh, talking about what we were talking about before. Kaylana, we never see Frey's kid as a squire, did we? I don't think so. They sort of just graze all over this. I, I have to admit, season two is not as fresh in my mind as seasons three, four, and one are. Uh, so it's going to be very fun to go back into our rewatch of season two, uh, just to watch those episodes again because they're they're kind of they're kind of not as fresh in my mind. So that's going to be really fun. And I'd say it's season three probably too. Season two and three are probably the ones that are least fresh in my mind uh, because they're the ones I haven't watched as many as I've watched or as many or as soon. <laughs> I've seen four and one the most, and I've seen five the most recent. So two and three are going to be interesting to go back and rewatch. Uh, Lynch Troll says, Ramsey should have burned them instead of the Miller's kids. Yeah. Sam says, well, Theon actually burned the children, not Ramsey. Crit says, one or two of them is suitable. <laughs> one or two of them is suitable. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Ramsey kind of pushed him into that. Lola says, what I miss? Lola, you missed a lot of disconnections and a lot of disappointment. <laughs> you missed Joe telling us all he loved us and he's, he's busy for the day, but uh, did check in at the beginning of this podcast. And all these videos will not be going public, <laughs> not going public right at first i'm going to take them all down and edit them together because this is technically our third shot at this Th third shot and you missed a lot of just random babblery by me that will probably be cut out of the final recording <laughs> so just that not much ramsey burned down winterfell though but but for the most part the party just started because you're here so the, that's all that matters is that you're you can join us now and that's why i'm glad to do these daytime podcasts because i because i noticed that you know, lynch lynch troll kaylana you're not always able to join us live uh we had uh we had a couple people in the earlier cast too that were listening to us from work that get to just check in or some people that from uh, different parts that can check out at different times so let's continue on to this episode so then we go to a really Probably one of my favorite scenes in the episode next to our final scene where hopefully Ned Stark gets saved. But no, probably my most... Th this scene, when I first watched it, really moved. I was like, what the hell is going on here? This is one of those scenes that makes you want to know more about Game of Thrones and just understand what's going on. It's John and Maester Aemon's scene. Uh, Aemon's chopping up food for ravens, a feast for crows. I don't know what he's doing or messages. And he comes in and he goes, Sam uh, said you wanted to see me. And he goes, I did. Would you be kind enough to assist me? And John half ass kind of helps him, but really just kind of avoiding eye contact. And uh, Aemon just goes right in, tell me, do you ever wonder why the men of the Night's Watch take no uh, wives and father, no children? And John's like, no. So that they will not love. Love is the death of duty. If that day should ever come where your Lord Father is forced to choose between honor and one hand and the hand in the, the love of the others, what would he do? John says he would do whatever's right. Again, John, very antagonistic in this scene, no matter what. And Master Eamon, who finds so much joy in every moment, uh, and so much 
so, so much there's something just brewing under there you know I, I would this is one of those moments where I wish Joe was here to talk because he loves Eamon so much Eamon and Arya are his two favorite characters and this is probably one of Eamon's best scenes and he He's just like, well, Lord Stark is one in one man in ten thousand. Most of us would not be would not be so strong. What is honor compared to a woman's love? And what is duty against the feel of a newborn son in your arm? And then he gets he gets the fact that John's not getting it. That John's not getting where he's uh, where he's talking about it. And and he just and he just gets intense on them. And he just. Push, pushes the brother line on him and he goes Sam told you and he goes we're all human we all do our duty when it's of no cost to us honor comes easy then yet sooner or later in every man's life there comes a day when it's not easy a day when he must choose and that's so true not just in a fantasy type historical fantasy type world like Game of Thrones that's just a true fucking statement in life honor and doing the right thing is easy when shit is easy when stuff gets when you get put up against a wall and you're faced with these choices in life it really shows who you are it's how people react in those dangerous situations when bad stuff's happening you really get to see uh Airplane, like air crash uh economics people someone talks about it a lot when we do the Walking Dead podcasts about just people's reactions when shit goes bad and how that affects the logic in their minds. And Eamon totally is just such a great observer of human condition. And he shows it in so many different times throughout the series. And this is to me, one of the best where he just calls out John. Some could say he has an affinity for John for whatever reason. We can, we can explore that on a later podcast, if you know what I mean, but he, he really shows an understanding for the fucked upness of John's situation. And again, John doesn't quite get it. Uh, do, 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 do. Yeah, I was going, what the fuck with the review with three parts, <laughs> says Kaylana. Lindstroll says, Ned can't die. He's our main character. Lois says, Longling the King of the North. This was the moment I got hopelessly hooked on Game of Thrones. Absolutely. We were saying that at the beginning, that this episode really was the hook for a lot of people to know that they were watching something that isn't just the normal fare of fantasy, historical, epic type stuff that's going to happen. Yeah, this was my favorite part of the season one finale. Uh, it, then again, Rob is my favorite Stark, so I just loved him in that moment, says Sam. Dean says, Peter Von Eamon is so amazing. Martin likes to torture his fit. Yes, he does. He really does. And I, I like that because... I love that type of comedian. I love that kind of artist that loves challenging the audience as much as he does in challenging and talking to them and making statements and, re and merely making it all work within the narrative. And oh God, Eamon is just so amazing. And uh, we're all human. We all do our duty. There's no cost. But yet people, one day a man must choose. And John gets all pissed. Is this my day? Gets right in his face, face to face. John's pissed. Is that what you're saying, man? That what you're saying? And Eamon just with the biggest smile. Oh, it hurts, boy. Yes, it does. I know. No, you don't know. No one knows. I may be a bastard, but he's my father and Rob's my brother. No one knows. And this is something, again, a lot of people can relate to. That when you're... You come to a point in your life where problems... You're faced with all these fucking problems. And you know that your problems are the worst thing in the world to you. But... And they feel like you're the only one that can have problems. Most people come to a realization at one point in their life that everybody is their own universe. Everyone is their own solar system where you are the sun. And all the problems are rolling around around you and shit like that. So, so like, 
John's at that point, and I was there too, and I'm like a pig-headed 16-year-old kid, and you think that, not that every 16-year-old's like this, I'm, not, I'm just saying me at that age was like that. Some people are like that until their 50s, 60s, 70s, until they had, some people never understand that, and they're, and they're completely, completely self-absorbed, and they can never understand what others are going through. But John's a kid. John's a kid dealing with this, understanding that, oh, I'm the only one. I'm the only bastard in the world. I'm the only person ever in this situation, ever. No one can understand what I'm going through. And John, I'm sorry to say, a lot of people can understand what you're going through. A lot of people can understand what you're going from. We coming from. We know this. And and Eamon has had it worse than Eamon knows. Eamon knows. Jump in the chat for a second before I continue. Uh, Lilith says, I still can't believe he's gone. Ned was my favorite character. I can't believe they killed him off this early. I can't believe it. This is where we all say, fuck the king. Yep. Crit says, I was unspoiled this time. I already knew how the story would end with the Stark. So happy. Ned freed and disbanded the Seven Kingdoms, <laughs> undoing the Targaryen Union. Kaylana, playing the show right now. Sound off. I'm fine with everything, and I tire of people expecting cliche troops. I won't be mad if Brienne up and dies or Jamie in season six. Me neither. Me neither. I figured the second season would end with a marriage, Danny and Rob, happily ever after. I love that this show just, especially right from the bat, gives you these situations, these parallels, and really just, sh it's, it's so effective. And I just love this. I love this moment by Eamon. He just laughed. Gods were cruel when they, uh, when they tested my vows. They waited till I was old. Again, something that a lot of people can relate to. You don't get the challenge. You want to fight, but you can't, your body won't, you know, do it anymore. You... What could I do when the ravens brought the news from the south? The ruin of my house, the death of my family. I was helpless, blind, frail. But when I heard they killed... Wait, why am I saying this? I shouldn't be saying this. But I should have him say it. Did you ever wonder why the men of the Night's Watch take their wives and fathers? Oh, wait, children? this is way early. So they will not love. Why love. Is the death of duty. Yeah, why am I why am I talking? I thought I I thought I had more of that quote, but uh, I have that and then I have this part. I will not tell you to stay or go. You must make that choice yourself and live with it for the rest oh of your God. days. Oh. As I have. Oh. Now, oh my God. Now it's just from a sound design standpoint, those were in the two, same two scenes. And listen to the music or the audio in this part. I'm not going to play them both all again. Did you ever wonder? It's so happy and whatever. And then just to lead into how it ends up going and how when Eamon gets into it. Will not tell you. When he goes, who are you? When I heard they killed my brother's son and his poor son and the children, even the children, just super intense. And that music that you heard at the end there just kicks in. And then John's like, who are you? My father was maker, first of his name, brother Aegon reigned after him when I refused the throne. And I was followed by his son, Eris, who they called the Mad King. And he goes, you're Aemon Targaryen. I'm Maester of the Citadel, bound to service to Castle Black and the Night's Watch. I will not tell you to give a... And John is just in shock and the music and the way the sound kicks in this scene so freaking intense it 
huge, huge, amazing, such a moment. The, one of my favorite moments in all of Game of Thrones happened right there in this episode, and it's not Ned Stark being saved at the last minute. It's not, it's not what happens to Ned Stark. It's ultimately this moment that is such a strong point. I think it's the strongest point in the episode, maybe one of the strongest points of the season. It's just aiming, aiming fucking dick slapping Jon Snow here with the facts of his life and being like, and you just... It's just, I love things like that. I love movies movies or shows or things where it's things you don't expect. And again, watching this for the first time, not knowing anything, him just coming out of nowhere and being that kind of character when I didn't expect it, just grabbed me and goosed me like crazy. And I was just like, holy crap, I love this show. And I'm watching and reading everything that has to do with this show from now until it turned. I mean, this was the moment for me. I figured this is like... <laughs> Uh, Lola says Sean Bean played the role perfectly I think he's one of the better actors in the industry even if he dies in films he gave so much honor to the role of no I don't think any it's one of those characters that I know it might change this season but I can't imagine anyone else playing Ned Stark he is Ned Stark to me and he is one of the finest actors working he's so great at what he does I think even though he's been in some big roles and I think because of the he dies and everything joke he's underrated as an actor He it gets overlooked how good he is sometimes Egg, I dreamed that I was all... Oh, don't do that to me, Lynch. Lynch troll, you're going to make me cry. I dreamed... I dreamed I was old. I agree, this was one of those scenes that says this is what the show is about. Amen, alt speech to John. Stop being a little bitch boy and suck it up. Absolutely, Kaylana. Again, like I said, the dick slap. He gives him the, the Castle Black dick slap. The Listen, you think you have problems? In the mortal words of co-host three, don't tell me your pro. I don't want to hear your problems, kid. You know, like we all have problems. Get to the fucking chopper, John. Eamon is so epic. The actor is so awesome. 92-year-old, served in World War II, lengthy career, BAFTA nominated. He's actually partially blind in real life. Yeah, so I cannot say enough about the performance of Eamon from, from through the entire series of his run and till his final moments but i this is pro probably to me one of my favorite moments so let's continue on to <laughs> on to this section of the episode as we see the dothraki marching and drago doesn't drogo eh, sorry kyle drogo does not look too good he falls off his horse and this is a big moment where he falls off his horse, a car that can't ride, can't lead. It's similar to Sons of Anarchy economics, you know, when Clay can't do his thing anymore, he can't ride, he can't lead, but similar concept. But I'm surprised they don't kind of kill him right there, but I guess because he's because they owe him He's the blood of my blood, all that sort of stuff that his blood riders will protect him until his last breath. I know in some situations, like if they were Klingons or something, they probably would just kill him right there that he falls off his, can't, can't hold the bath lift, bath yeah. I'm blanking on Baslech or whatever the fuck they're called. Baslech. I'm, I just, I'm going to keep saying that until I fuck it up some more, but you know what I'm talking about, the Klingon weapon that I'm blanking on the name because you can tell I'm a. Star Trek fan, but not a Star Trek freak. Uh, Kaylana will correct me here in a second and spell that phonetically of me and go, you idiot. That's how you fucking pronounce that. But but I'm kind of surprised they don't just kill him right here on the spot. Say hello to your... <laughs> absolutely, Lois. Say hello to your great-great-grandfather, great-uncle Jon Snow. But yeah, I'm just... It's it's surprising to me as we get into here. Danny is concerned for the wound her husband Khal Drogo has. Uh, he's 
he's become infected. He ends up falling off his horse, showing uh, <laughs> showing signs of. If you read the Duncan Egg book, it's even sadder. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Eamon versus Sir Alistair Thro- Thro- Thorne. Who wins? <laughs> Death match, by the way. I think honestly, I think I if I was Thorne in that fight, I'd slit my own neck. You know that that would that would be uh, that would be my situation. <laughs> Bathleth. Kerplow. Thank you, Kaylada. I'm horrible at my Klingon pronunciation. I have trouble pronouncing English words. Forget my Klingon pronunciation. Kerplach. Good luck. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, okay. I know. Oh, I know what you're saying. Different Eamon. Okay. <laughs> Eamon. Oh, I always take a Targaryen in a fight. Ghetto Toad, welcome. Well, except for if to get the Baratheon. <laughs> so far to east, so Danny is then there, whatever. Uh, ultimately, he falls off the horse. Danny tells the Kalasar that they're stopping to build camp. This isn't the place to build a camp. We're going to continue. I uh, call the healers over here, get uh, get Mazzy Mardor over here, Miri Mazdor over here to help out the situation. Uh, we should kill her, you know, not help, not have her help a Carl. It, it's her problem. It's her fault. This is all help happening. And Danny, true to her stubborn, na- stubborn nature, is not relenting here. She is ironclad that, uh, that uh, this woman is going to help him live. And, and, Damn be known that the Dothraki don't know what's best for themselves, that she knows and she needs to she needs to step in here again and protect. There couldn't be anything happening. There's nothing not on the level here. But ultimately in this situation, we get the feeling that Danny's days are numbered, that that uh all these people are just wait all these Dothraki are just waiting for the moment that Drogo dies so that they can slit her throat and kill her baby. <laughs> Bat. Bat Leth. Okay, well, we'll do this at a different podcast because we'll be spending here like two hours of us hearing, uh, hearing me try to pronounce pronounce Klingon, uh, Klingon weaponry. <laughs> As we go over to the Lannister armies preparing for battle. I missed you in Game of Thrones recap. DB, welcome. I miss talking about Game of Thrones. It's so much fun rewatching the episode and just getting right back into it. <laughs> It's get right, getting right back into town, uh, getting right back into t- listen, watching Game of Thrones. Right when that theme song kicked in, and I'm starting to get into it, watching this episode to write the notes down. I'm like so excited to even get to hear it, to be again to start to talk about Game of Thrones again. As I have a Klingon on my shoulder that's like, Phil, you don't know how to pronounce my weapon. I have a pizza pocket on my face. I have one of those pizza pouches. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So he is, Drogo is just in a bad situation. He's very strong. No one understands how strong he is. No, we all know how strong he is, Danny. He's very strong. Yeah, we know. <laughs> so he's very strong. He's very strong. I've been listening to season one on my way to work the past two weeks. Oh, awesome. Kyle Drogo versus the mountain. Who do I think would win? Uh, considering, uh, times, if you haven't watched season four of Game of Thrones here, uh, shut off for two minutes. Okay. Considering how we see the Red Viper, who has 
who can move really fast the way he fought him, I think Drogo would probably be able to outmaneuver the mountain and be able and if you'd be smart enough to know the soft spots to stab him through his armor. But that being said, seeing seeing in this episode someone like Jorah kill a blood rider so easily because the blood rider just completely ignored the armor, that makes me think that maybe Drago would kind of think he was too more powerful than the armor and try to like overpower the mountain. I think if he tried to use speed, he could probably uh, probably find a way to take out the mountain if he was intelligent about it. But if he just charged him, I think he'd run to a lot of problems. A lot of problems. But ultimately, I do think Drogo, Drogo is smarter than the average Dothraki, and he would be able to outmaneuver him, and he would size up his opponent in the right way and wouldn't make the same mistakes that the Blood Rider makes when fighting against Jorah uh, and just kind of trying to stab through armor. I think he's learned enough through Daenerys and through Jorah that he understands understands armor and understands soft spots between the armor. So I would have to think Drogo would be smart enough to be able to conquer the mountain. The mountain's really lumbering and really slow in that armor. Um, DB, he's been, uh, sprinting out over every one to three, three weeks. And I'm going to start trying to do it by, uh, per Kaylana's math, uh, try to start doing them every week if we can in one way or another. Um, and hopefully, hopefully have Joe join us as much as we can, but I want to, I want to start to really get through these Game of Thrones stuff and, uh, try to get, try to get a schedule on it and try to do it at least once every one week or absolutely at most every two weeks on the game of thrones until we can start to really get into it because i'm i'm eager for my full rewatch here uh ghetto toad cow would win only a scratch can bring down the cow <laughs> kaylana my joke using the 80s song uh commissioners in town is was over everyone's head i i got the mountain here drogo was uh what a lame death for such a great warrior jor is a beast also though like monty python ghetto toad it's it's a scratch it's just a hole in his chest it's just a it's just a flesh wound it's nothing but a flesh wound oh gosh oh my gosh i'm still embarrassed this shows how bad my mind is i'm still embarrassed of my mispronunciation of klingon weapons i'm sorry <laughs> I'm still on them. I'm like, I'm thinking in my head, shit, someone's going to watch this and be like, that's not how you pronounce it, fucking idiot. <laughs> I love the, I love it. <laughs> thank you guys so much again, as always. I say this enough, but thank you guys so much for, uh, for, uh, I just love making so many new friends and getting to talk to you guys through every week in between these episodes and about all these shows. It makes it so much more fun to be, to be growing a community and and hang, hanging out with all you guys. You guys are so awesome. Anyways, so let's continue. We go to our Lannister army preparing for battle. Tywin uh, tells his son Tyrion that... Uh, that he's meaning to use the hill, the hill tribes to give them an edge against the Stark armies, essentially using them as uh, Operation Shield, as he orders Tyrion to lead them from the front of the vanguard. Tyrion says to his father, "Listen, if there's, uh, if you want to kill me, I'm sure there's better ways that aren't going to affect the war effort." And he storms back to his tent, and Bronn has found. Oh gosh, here, here she is. Oh gosh. I'm really not supposed to say. Oh, not Sam. Wrong one. Who are you? Who would you like me to be? Yes. What did your mother call you? Shay. What did your mother call you? My mother died giving birth to me. 
Is that why I'm here? So we can talk about our mothers? Everyone's favorite. What sort of accent is that? Foreign? <laughs> Foreign? As I said, I was young and stupid. Oh, gosh. You're still young and stupid. Oh, it's all dun 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 Shay! Dun 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 Oh, I'm gonna love Shay this rewatch. Oh my god, I loved her the first time. I'm gonna love her even more this time. We meet Shay. Tyrion's, uh, whore for now. And, uh, you were just a whore. Nothing more. And this is where we meet her. Funny scene going back and forth between uh, Tyrion and Bronn, though, uh, where he's like, where'd you find one so pretty at this hour? I don't know. I stole her from next door. You know, uh, I don't know what his name is. Uh, Ginger Cunt. Ginger Cunt next door. Bronn, Bronn and Tyrion right from the get-go. Loved seeing these two together. Can't get enough of the Bronn and Tyrion pair. pair. They're really awesome. I kind of wish he stayed, he stayed in the room and Shay left. But whatever. I, I really enjoyed the two of them together. They're, they're a lot of fun. And, and yeah, so Shay's Shay, and here she is. <laughs> she fits in well with Tyrion's personality, says DB. Speaking of spoiler pictures, what the fuck is she doing in marine pictures? Interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Dean McKinley, Tywin is my favorite character by a mile. Charles Dance deserves an Emmy for his superlative work. I agree with you. He, he's another one that he's such a get. Like, when they were talking about Tywin, even though he doesn't, physically necessarily look exactly like I imagine Tywin. He is perfect. He's he is Tywin Lannister. He really is. Shay the funny Shay the funny horn Tyrion were great. I love their bronmance. I love their Sam and Dean I agree Tyr, Tywin is easily my top favorite character along with Tyrion, Roose, Ramsay and Oberyn. Uh Shay was bad news. He, he's still young and stupid like she said. Yes. And I'm not going to get into this too much because this isn't really my cup of tea. But if any people are curious of some theories about uh, there are other people that do theory videos that there's some information out there that this was all set up from the beginning, uh, that Shay was hired right from the start, that all this stuff, whatever. We'll, we can get into that at a later date. But <clears throat> as we get more into the future of Shay. And when we eventually here get into some character videos, once we can get through all these episodes, I want to do character breakdown podcasts. So we'll eventually get into Shay and talk more about Shay information. But but go out there. Preston Jacobs does a lot of really interesting information. I don't necessarily agree with everything he says, but there's a lot of fun stuff that he brings up that make you go, hmm. And there's uh, some interesting stuff that he has to say about Shay, and a lot of people have to say. So I, as I'm uh, the Santa Claus from Miracle on 34th Street, come sit on my lap. You can go shut off my video and go check out someone else's video, please. But no, they do, uh, other people do a really good job at some of these theory and speculation videos. And Preston is one of the better people out there at putting out like crazy theories that you're like, eh, but hmm. So yeah, anyways. Uh, Tyrion and Shay, they have one of the most confusing relationships in the series. I can never tell whether she generally loved him or whether it was all for the money. And good point, Lola, and good question. I often wondered that too, and it's something that, I hate doing this, but it's clearer to me in the books than it is in the show. In the show, I always wonder that because it seems like she loves him and she makes a decision that she makes based on him pushing her away and her not quite understanding the danger and all that sort of shit. In the books, it seems more like she never really cared and it was all for the money. I, I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to say. It's it's part of the way they changed her a little bit for the books from the books. Not for better, for worse, just a slight change. 
She's a, she is, and I agree. She's she is a complex character. She has a. I'd love to know more about her backstory and get more into a lot of. There's a lot. There's a lot to what's going on with her, and I'm I'm curious to know more. And and I mean, we never will in the main narrative, but I'm sure there's a lot of information that we can go back and look at. <clears throat> so let us continue, and we just get a really awesome interaction. I kind of skipped over it, uh, but really fun interaction with Tyrion and. Tywin in this scene uh, when soldiers lack discipline, it's the fault of the commanders. It, it's just really good back and forth. And then we get into that scene I just talked about where Tyrion gets in there and starts and first of all tells Bronn that they're going to be in the vanguard. So Bronn ends up going to find a whore for himself and he's left in there alone with Shay and they get to the boning. Yeah. The odds of me living long enough for him to retaliate have just dropped drastically. <laughs> mm. So here we go. Um, this next whole scene, it's kind of going to be hard to hard to really talk too much about it. I mean, not too much about it, but like really get break. We got to break down the scene a little bit because <laughs> a lot happens here. This is where Drago Drago's dying. Uh, shame that it had to go like this between Tyrion and Shay to this point. I still don't understand what Tyrion saw in Shay. And, uh, says Lola. Kaylana says, it's the opposite of Tyrion, a whore falling in love with, with her, with her trick. Yeah, it's, it's the opposite of the her falling in love with her trick. It, and you would think that Tyrion, considering what he's been through before, would have have his blinders up for situations like this. But he is, again, again... You can't you can't say it enough. As I said, I was young and stupid. You can't say it enough. You're still young and stupid. <laughs> He's very young and stupid. He really is. Who are you? <laughs> Who would you like me to be? Yeah, I'll talk about I'm going to do a separate video on that, but yeah, I did see that as well that they're pushing back season 6 of Game of Thrones to uh to to May. I think they're afraid of Fear the Walking. No, I'm kidding. I don't know. What I it's it's interesting that they're going to do that. I hope that they don't continue to push back every year, like they did eventually did with the Sopranos. The Sopranos did a similar thing towards the end of the last couple of seasons. Took longer to put out because they they just took. I mean, if it's going to be about quality, I understand, but. If it's just, oh, yeah, we can do this because HBO will let us do whatever we want now. So let's take as much time as we want. Who cares? I'm kind of frustrated by that. I want. <laughs> I want. I want it to happen in April. I'm used to April. I'm going to be. April's going to come around and I'm going to be pissed. So, okay. So, so we get to. <laughs> Kurt says maybe somebody will pirate the first four episodes again. We can only fucking hope. <laughs> Lois says, yeah, I was thinking that too. <laughs> they fear the fear of the walking dead. They, they want to get away from that stink. <laughs> uh, with the extra time, maybe we'll get an entire. So yeah, sure. <laughs> It'll still only give us 10 episodes. <laughs> I do. I mentioned this before, but uh, anyone who's into Vikings, Vikings is giving us like 15, 12 or 12 to 15 episodes this season instead of that usual 10. <clears throat> so okay, Drago's dying, and and ultimately in this scene, uh, Drago a few things happen. Drago dies, and Danny freaks out, and one of her blood riders threatens threatens her, or she basically saves Mary Ma's door's life one more time. And as Drago's starting to die, 
he's he hasn't he isn't dead yet. I'm sorry, I apologize. He isn't dead yet. He's starting to die. And she calls Mary Ma's door in to 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 help her. And one of the blood riders is like, I'm gonna kill this witch. He's dead, he's dying because of this fucking witch, and I'm gonna kill you too once he dies. How do you like that? And she goes, No, listen, I'm not nothing. I'm the blood, my son will be Carl one day, yada yada yada. G- gets in the blood rider's face, and the blood rider's like, okay, whatever. Do what you want, but when he dies, I'm killing everybody. Fuck this. You're all dead. Gives uh, I fuck Jora as he walks out. And uh, Jora is like, I'm going to put on my armor. Yeah, let's put on my armor. So Mary Ma's door eventually ends up getting into there. And yeah, and it's crossing into my fourth, my uh, Star Wars, my, my May the Fourth Be With You Star Wars celebration. Game of Thrones starts on May on May the Fourth. Be with you. That would be interesting. Is May the Fourth on a uh, Sunday this year? Season six DVDs out in China before the first show, <laughs> with the extra time, maybe an entire season. So the uh, the Dothraki uh, basically Mary Ma's door goes yet yeah. goes. Uh, he's dying. There's nothing I can do. He's beyond the healer's magic. And Danny's like, well, there must be something you can do. I know there's a spell. There's something. And she's like, mm, okay. <laughs> I was hoping you'd ask about this. I've got some blood magic I can do. And you, you won't like this. But only life pay, uh, only death pays for life. And Danny's like, my life, not yours, Khaleesi. Bring me his horse. And so they end up doing, which is one of, Honestly, in a lot of ways, one of the saddest scenes I've ever seen in my life, the way this all plays out. It's really hard to talk about even. And so the Blood Riders, her Blood Rider is warning her, this is blood magic. You can't do this, Khaleesi. You can't do this. Jorah shows up. He's like, we could have been miles away from here. What the hell are we still doing here? What are you doing? She's like, I need him alive. I just can't make any rational decision. I need him alive. He needs to be alive. Oh, my God. I can't do anything without him. And... The Blood Rider ends up showing up and is like, what the hell's going on here? And kind of starts to go to stop things. Her her Blood Rider tries to stop him. He throws her, him off. He ends up pushing Danny down, who like lands on her stomach weird and ends up ends up fuck like having some problems with the baby and starting to go into labor. It induces labor. Jorah goes, wait, don't the fuck you go in there and gets in the face of the Dothraki. And we get Do- him and the Dothraki going, going at it one-on-one. And I... And basically, it's it's a good fight back and forth. He slices he slices Jorah. He almost looks at Jorah as just uh, someone in the way. And I like how he jumps into these like ah, and he just jumps into the fight. And Jorah fights him off a little bit, but ultimately the the Dothraki, not being aware, not caring about armor, thinks he can go through the armor and strikes down and gets caught in Jorah's armor. And uh, and Jorah just goes hmm, fuck you and slices the dude's head off. And then just takes over the situation. No other Dothraki seem to step in at that point. Because, again, they seem to have some level of honor in one-on-one combat. Like, he fought his fight there. They're not just going to gang rush him right there. Very Klingon again. But, so Jorah ends up... I forgot to mention that Mary's Ma's door said, no one come in the tent after I start the spell. Because, you know, the dead will live here tonight. Dance here tonight. Excuse me, the dead will dance here. And no one, Danny's not conscious enough to see the midwives won't help the baby because they think that the baby's cursed. And ultimately, Danny ends up getting carried into the tent where all this evil magic shit's going on. It's a really intense scene. And 
there's a lot to it and it's high tension and you just knew something bad was going to happen. The big question as we have is, will everything be okay? <laughs> Hopefully everything will be okay in the end. I'll see you later, D uh, Dean. Thank you so much for checking us out this afternoon. Blood magic sucks, says Lola. DB, blood magic never ends well. Lola says, the uh, chanting scared the shit out of me. Me too. She, she started getting into like the... This was just a very intense, scary scene. And to go connected to the Eamon scene, just to talk about these different elements, and then what we eventually get to getting happening uh, with our back and forth in the Lannisters camp and the all the battle stuff we're about to get into... This episode just has, again, so much. I feel like we've, you know, I'm on page, just to get an idea for the notes, I'm on page 16 and I have 25 pages of notes. And we're already, so much has happened in this episode. It's it's already, we haven't even gotten to, I mean, we talked a little bit about it at the beginning, where I'm glad we got Joe's thoughts on it at the beginning, but so much is packed into this episode, in these early episodes especially, compared to the later episodes, where there's a lot, there's stuff, there's a lot of, a lot of things, but everything's just so interwoven so well in these in this first season. Poor horse. The news noise they made were very creepy, says Lola, especially since she was calling on the demons. Yeah, this whole scene just scared the shit out of me. And uh, yep. And so Danny gets carried in at the end of the scene, and that's what happens. So then we get into our drunk game between the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, woman. Are you immune to pain? Just used to it. <laughs> and we get uh, Tyrion, Bronn, and Shay playing a drinking game. And it's, again, Shay is very interesting in this scene, the way she looks at Tyrion, the way she doesn't want to get into a game that talks about telling the truth. All those are red flags for some of the theories about Shay be having her own agenda and wanting and having secret, like lots of secrets here. So it's just a funny scene between the three of them having a drinking game and and eventually play, playing I Never. <laughs> they start playing I Never and uh, and they play a new game, a game that uh, Bravo C Knife game. No, not Bravo C Knife game. Something he's good at. Tyrion's good at. And he's a good judge of character. Let's play a game. And they we have a funny interaction with Bronn and Tyrion playing I Never. And, and then ultimately Shay... He kind of tries to play it with Shay, and she gets pissy about it, and's like, "Oh, now I want to play the game," <laughs> and and she basically pushes that. Braun heard that he was married, and he goes, "It's a horrible story. You don't want to hear about my story." And and Braun's like, "I'm pretty sure that me and Shay have worse stories than you. Why don't you tell me about the story?" Come we want to hear. We want to hear what's going on. We want to hear what you consider to be a horrible story about what happened to you, and we finally get the story of his first wife. That becomes very important later on, but doesn't get touched upon later on in the series. This is the only time we ever hear about this story. I'm going to read it. My brother Jamie and I were riding when we heard a scream. A girl ran out into the road, her clothes half torn with two men on her heels. Jamie scared away the men easy enough while I, was wrapped her, while I wrapped her up in my cloak. She was too scared to send off on her own, so Jamie hunted down the rapers, and I took her to the nearest inn and fed her. Her name was Taisha. She, uh, she was an orphan. She was hungry. Together, we finished off three chickens and a flagon of wine. Impossible seems. I was accustomed to wine. Ultimately, for four, we were married. I'm going to skip ahead. And not until my father found out 
And uh, my fa- first, my father had told had Jamie tell me the truth. The girl was a whore, you see. Jamie had arranged the whole thing. The road, the rapers, all of it. He thought it was time I had a woman. After my brother confessed, my father brought in my wife and gave her to my guards. He paid her well, a silver for each man. How many whores command such a price? He brought me in to the barracks and made me watch. By the end, she had so much silver that the coins were slipping through her fingers and rolling onto the floor. It's worth mentioning in the books. He's the last one. And I and Bronn says, I would have killed the man that did that to me. And Tyrion just gives a look like. And Shay gets in his face about it. Well, you should have known she was a whore. What? He goes, I was 16 and I was drunk and I was in love. A girl who's almost raped doesn't have another man in her bed two hours later. As I said, I was young and stupid. You're still young and stupid. Really intense story. Amazing performance by by uh by Tyrion Lannister, great speech and great, greatly written, greatly acted upon, and really intense, and tells you everything you need to know about Tyr- about Tywin right off the bat. I mean, I'm not sure if we see that Tywin yet, but it's interesting to know that that's the person that exists there. Um, Critch says, as the car got sicker, it became clear uh, to the show viewers and me that the witch was up to no good. But the blood magic scene was the first real undeniable point of magic in the show. Good point. Sam also says, yes, I agree. She was happy with him being, uh, she was happy with him being a vegetable. I knew she was a bad person. DB says, "Uh, well, I like Bron in the books. I think he's amazing in the show. The actor does such an awesome job. He's another one. He adds so much to the character of Bron. In the books, I do like Bron, but... He's not one of my favorite characters, but Shobron is one of my favorite characters. He's the voice of the people in a lot of ways. Loa says, I have to admit she was one of my least favorite characters. I'm sorry. It's totally different talent to be pornographic actress uh, than a regular actress. I was just getting ready to ask if she was one of the actresses who was from the porn industry. I couldn't remember. <laughs> so talking about Shay. It, so she is. She's one of the uh, she's one of the porn actress people. Okay, so we continue. And again, thank you so much. And the horses, Kaylana mentioned before, the horses always suffer. In movies and TV shows, there's certain movies and shows that horses always are the ones to suffer. We've talked about Braveheart a couple of times today. Braveheart especially. That, that movie could be subtitled Death to Horses. So we get the next morning where Tyrion is still sleeping and Bronn gets in, tries to wake his ass up. He's like, listen, uh, you're gonna, we're going to have a fight coming up here. You want to go have a fight? And uh, he's, he's Turns to, very funny Tyrion moment, uh, Peter Dinklage at his best here, where he just turns over to her and he's like, will you, uh, will you wish, what's, what's he say? Will you, uh, will you weep for me if I die? And she goes, you'll be dead. How will you know? <laughs> and I'll know as Tyrion goes to battle. And he watches out move out of the way. He gives a great speech. Tribesmen of the Vale gather around, Stone Crows, Black Ears, Burn Men, Moon Brothers, uh, Painted Dogs. Your dominion over the veil begins now. Onward, claim what is yours. As they all start yelling, half man, half man, as Tyrion gets hit in the head as he runs, which is a show's way of doing two things. In the books, Tyrion fights in this battle, and he does well, pretty well. Also, it's the way of the show doing that, not have to show you a battle and saving up on some money. Because you're doing it from Tyrion's perspective in the situation, where he gets knocked out, he wakes up, to Bronn carrying him or dragging him which is a very good visual by the way of Tyrion waking up here where Bronn wakes him up by saying you're a shit warrior I'm alive well, yep yeah 
you're alive. Yeah. Did we win? Well, we wouldn't be having this conversation if we didn't. How'd our tribesmen do? And we see a visual of the tribesmen killing a bunch of extra soldiers. It's uh, nice that they're all getting along, the, tri the tribesmen. And Tywin shows up out of the blue and it's like, oh, you're wounded. How you doing over there, Tyrion? Tyrion's like, oh, good of you to notice. And he's like, I hear you be one. And Tywin's like, huff. The scouts were wrong. There were only 2,000 Stark Banner men, not 20,000. And uh, Tyrion, who just got hit in the head, so who's not quite thinking straight, is like, oh, at least do we get do we get Rob at least? And Tywin's like, no, he wasn't here. And Tyrion's like, well, where was he? And Tywin goes, well, he's with his other 18,000 men. I thought you were smarter than this, stupid. It's almost implied in the way Tywin speaks to him here. He goes, I thought you were smarter than this with his other 18,000 men, you dumb dwarf. It's so funny Tyrion getting knocked out though. And and it's one of those moments with the show saving, as Kaylana said, it's it's really a funny moment. It's one of those moments on the show that isn't hmm, how do I say this? I understand why they did it from a visual standpoint. They, they didn't want to have to show the battle. There's no need to waste money on that. And it works. I don't mind changes. I don't mind when they do things like that from a television standpoint. Uh when the murder happens off screen, so they don't have to show it. Sometimes it's more effective. And I think in this way, because let's just say one of the things that's sort of unrealistic in the book, uh, Tyrion, not to get, and again, not to get too far down that rabbit hole, but Tyrion has acrobatic skills and can jump around almost like Yoda in the uh, prequel movies, like when he's fighting. Like Tyrion has like immense like acrobatic fight. Like, so you, going out of your way, and they, I know they didn't add that to this character, but we don't need to see Tyrion in battle. We don't actually physical, physically need to see Tyrion in battle. We eventually get to that point uh, in the series when it's necessary. But here at this moment, it's more I think it's funnier the way that they did it and showing how he is a shit, shit warrior and has no skills in this point. I don't mind some of like little changes like that that I think were kind of weird in the book. I don't like that Tyrion's a, like, you know, somewhat of a good fighter. in the It, it doesn't, I don't know. Not that I don't like it. It's just, it's weird to me, some of the stuff that they do. And Tyrion swoops in, does a double backflip, and lands on his feet right next to Jon Snow. Hi, Jon Snow. You know, things like that. I like and hate Tywin all at once, says DB. Yeah, me too. And uh, saying your name like DB, it makes me sound like, that's what, Tywin is a douchebag. Not that I'm calling you a douchebag, like, but he is, Tywin is a DB. And, but he's such a, He's so charming and wonderful in it. Not in the same way that Walter Frey is. I talk, I feel like I might be repeating myself in the sense of what I like about Walter. Walter's creepy and scummy and evil. Tywin is, he has an evil tone to him. He makes some evil decisions, but he's just, he has this like very, I'm better than everybody kind of attitude. He thinks he's above being good or bad. He just is Tywin. He does what's right. He does what's needed. He does what the situation calls for. And what he does, and the winners write the history. He's the kind of guy that goes, I don't care what right and wrong is. I'm going to write the history books because I'm going to be the one winning. So fuck right wrong. I'll do what's needed. You need me to kiss Robert's ass for a while? Um, I'll kiss his ass and then go to Casterly Rock and hide, hide my ass out there until, you know, it's an opportunity to take advantage and further my family's interests. My daughter's there. My kids will be kings. My grandkids will be kings. Done deal. You know? 
Yes, like a Chinese martial art doing the uh, doing a drunken monkey form. Yeah, and Tyrion's supposed to be, have these like super hanging hang from his tails. Suddenly, Tyrion grows a tail and flips around, and he's doing he's doing Jackie Chan drunk. Drunken master fighting, you know? I don't know. He just has, like, he's supposed to be more skilled than I buy. I, I like Tyrion being someone whose only weapon is his mind. Not his best weapon is his mind. So, uh, so yes, great scene between Tywin and Tyrion. Uh, these last couple episode scenes with them, since they've come together, they are really one of the highlights of the series as a whole. Any scene that you get with Tyrion and Tywin. It's two actors that obviously love working together and love playing off each other and just verbally spar, partially because he's the only one in his family Tywin feels like is on an intellectual level with him, even though he has utter disdain for him. So it's interesting to see both those things coming through. Same with Tyrion's absolute hate for his father and a begrudging respect for everything his father does and fear. And both actors are strong enough to be playing both things at once. So it's really amazing to see the two of them work off each other. Tywin did shit, shit out of luck. What, what a shit way to die. <laughs> We're going to see if that Tywin Lannister really does shit gold. Okay, so we cut over to Catelyn and Roderick Castle waiting in the woodlands as they hear the sound of battle. Suddenly, Rob returns from the battle with his guards and Jamie Lannister as a prisoner himself. And Jamie is hilarious in this scene. He's like, oh, yep. Uh, Kingslayer, he took down 10 of our men. We should kill him already. And no, no, no. This is one of the parts of the battles I kind of wish I saw. Again, with Jamie, because I'm a Jamie fan. I like to have seen Jamie kill 10 people. I would have liked to visually see that just because I like watching Jamie fight. And I feel like we got too little of that when he had two hands. I would like to see a couple more examples of him destroying people just to just to give a big, I don't know, just to give a little bit more of an epic lead up to what eventually happens. Because we only see him fight against Ned, which is inconclusive, as Joe will say. Even though I think Jamie was going easy on him because he didn't want to kill him. But whatever. Uh, then that's a different discussion altogether. Then we also have... <clears throat> we have many different things that have happened. We have Jamie fighting Brienne later on. And after being you know in chains for a while. I would have liked to see one Jamie fighting all out. Just killing people at... you know having to be surrounded by 10, you know, by people seeing how they actually stopped him. If he's there hacking down 10 people. That's why I don't like Tyrion being a Targaryen theories. It cheapens the relationship. I agree. Lynch troll. Uh, I hear those theories and I understand them. I think it's a, I think it, it makes, I would say this, it makes, it makes their relationship stronger. If that really is, Tywin's son. It also adds a different dynamic if it isn't and it's just his wife's son. I mean, I think both things are relevant. I personally agree with you that I think it's stronger this way, but I could also see the argument that some people make where it is also strong that he has had this undying hatred, but but because she is a because the wife is a Lannister, because he loved his wife so much and her wish was like protect him you know you know he is her son no matter what that he was sort of forced in his own guilt in his own connection to whatever his happiness was to deal with Tyrion his whole life and always protect him on some level to the point at the end when he's like do you think I would really kill you you know I would have sent you to the black I would have done this I would have done everything I could to protect you from Cersei yeah and I 
And whether you believe him or not, you can believe him or not, but it's interesting to note. Mm. Excuse me. Um, note that Eamon laughed at John when John said he's my father. I And welcome, LaDonna Louise. I, I agree with that. And I was saying that at the time where Eamon's very, very friendly and takes a very vested interest in telling John about his, his life, about Eamon's life, about sharing that information with John and making sure that he can relate to him and knowing that I can relate to you the way that an uncle, great uncle would do to a, to a young youngling in the family. Um, yeah, I heard in the commentary that they made up the hide the wine from Tyrion game months. Yes, that, uh, that, that Kaylana was saying something about the, the best scene was, uh, the time we taken the wine away from Tyrion, uh, was a dance and Dinklage thing put together. Yeah. That the two of them actually, I, I want to say in the commentary, they said, I don't need the director or it was, might have been George R. R. Martin's commentary because it was in the episode he wrote. He goes, I don't even know what they were doing in that scene. No one told them to do that. They just sat down and did that. That was just something that, like Kaylana was saying, was completely on Dinklage and Dance's part that they just made up for the moment. I re I rather the whack Jamie Cersei were Targaryens and Tyrion being married to a cousin is more likely to get a dwarf a genetic issue on a son like Tyrion. Yeah, absolutely. The fact that uh the fact that maybe Jamie and and Cersei are not his complete kids is a different story. And then the Targaryen connection because they're, they're, they have an ancestral, built-in ancestral relationship. And that the fact that a lot of people don't realize that uh, both, that Tywin and his wife were cousins, were first cousins, I believe. I'd rather the whack, uh, apparently, uh, <laughs> Sam, not Eamon, yes. To stay low and knock out was good. Cersei, <laughs> Cersei does reference how the Targaryens married each other, so her and Jaime are natural. Yes, and we we we're not just brother and sister. We we grew up in a womb together. We belong together. <laughs> I think is the line that he goes. When we click in the chat wing room, if anyone is in the chat wing right now, I just signed in there. I'm sorry, I kind of forgot about it, but I do see that we have two people that are actually in their chat wing rooms that might not be able to reach the chat. So if you guys are actually in there, uh, feel free to chat away. I will check your comments. It's good, good to know. And anyone that just wants that wants to ever share videos or pictures, you can share videos and pictures in that room as well. So I think I have it set up. <clears throat> oh yeah, I forgot the stay low line. By stay low. <laughs> Thanks. So, so anyway, so Rob shows back up and Jamie's just like, I offer you my sword, but I seem to have lost it. It's not your sword I want. Give me my daughters back. Give me my husband. Well, I've lost them too, I'm afraid. I, I can't deny. I just love Jamie Lannister and I love his cockiness, even in the sight of sure, sure disaster that he's just still sitting there like, come on. And I love what he says to Rob here too. He goes, they're like, kill him, Rob. And Rob goes, listen, buddy. Listen, or or no, he goes, uh, Jamie says to him, listen, we can save thousands of life. You fight for the Starks. I fight for the Lannisters. Let's settle this in one-on-one -on -one combat. And Rob, to his, to his credit, doesn't even think about it for a second. Doesn't even entertain the potential of this happening. And he goes, uh, if we did it your way, Kingslayer, you would win. The question I have is, should Rob have said something along the lines of, first of all, would Jamie's family have held up that bargain if Jamie agreed to that? Would would they actually have released the Stark kids and everything like that? I, I seriously doubt if Jamie loses that battle that Tywin and Joffrey and Cersei are going to, like, 
gonna like gonna read any letter that Jamie writes or believe anything that Jamie you would have to set this up like have Jamie contact his family go back to his family like do this in the middle of King's Landing with like a neutral people in charge like they would never actually fly but what I would be wondering is if Rob could name a champion and pick someone to fight for him like pick I don't know just pick pick uh, I don't know uh Sam's father there pick um Pick somebody, pick some other great swordsman that could potentially beat Jamie. I'm blanking on it. Pick, call Oberyn Martell up and bring him up here to kill a Lannister or something. I, I mean, it would be interesting to see if if it went that route to like a one-on-one -on -one battle. But obviously, Rob, being sm smarter than the average bear, is just like, fuck this. I'm no way I'm fighting you, Kingslayer. We would do it your way. You would win. And, uh, and Rob gets kind of, I sent 2,000 men to my grave. Farcloud, welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, Kaylana, Jamie was a young Barristan Selmy, Sam. Didn't Barristan mentor him when he was a young knightsman? I think it was Arthur Dane that mentored him, if, I, if I'm if i correct. Um, I think, and uh, I'm sure Kaylana could probably correct me on that, a couple other people. I think, I'm pretty sure it was Arthur Dane that uh, that did it. Uh, I got to go look for some gamma rays for Farcloud's penis for Tim. And Tim, I know you're having some computer issues. So whenever you watch this at any time, Tim, sorry you can't be joining us. Your computer is a, in fact, a douchebag. <laughs> so we apologize. I apologize for your computer, you motherfucker. Could Rob pick Ned? Oh, it was? Okay, it was Arthur Dane. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much, Sam. Um, <clears throat> could he, yeah, could he pick Ned? Could he pick anybody? That That's a good question. Could Ned and Jamie have finished the fight that they started? And uh, I just, w obviously Rob's not the one that fight that fight, but I believe that Jamie believes that he would solve these problems with a fight. That Jamie would convince his family that, listen, I'm not going to lose. Let me kill a Stark and this will all be done. <laughs> you know, I, I think I think Jamie in his weird warped way, and this is me where I don't have Joe to like, but, but he fell. He threw him out of a fucking window. I'm hearing Joe's voice. In Phil, he threw him out of a fucking window. Threw a kid out of a window and he fucks his sister. Yeah, I know. But I do think Jamie has a sense of honor about him. I really do. And I think jo J Jamie's being very genuine in this moment and saying, let's just end this and save lots of lives. Jamie doesn't want to see thousands of people die. I don't really believe he wants that. I think Jamie will do anything for love and for his family. And he's good at fighting. So he feels like he's the everything should be... In his own warped way, Jamie and Ned suffer, suffer from similar diseases of this sense of, of honor, the way things should be. Jamie will break it a little bit for the faith of people because Jamie may not want you to think that, but I really do think Jamie likes people. <laughs> Didn't want people of King's Landing burned, so he stabbed the king. You know, it wasn't because... It, it was to that. It was to like innocent people are going to die. I'm going to... My father's going to die. My family's going to die. I have to kill this fucking guy. And... I'll break my honor where Ned Stark would never break his honor in that moment. But, but Jamie does think he could step out of his honor, then step right back into it. And when it really comes down to it, he does have a very big sense of honor. Um, Arthur Dane was his knight, but Jamie was admiring Barristan and watched his style and probably tried copying him. DB says, I agree with you, Phil, especially in the later seasons, Jamie really shows his honor. And maybe I'm a victim of what I see later on that, that Jamie, because at the time I'm like, Jamie Lannister's a prick, kill him right now. But I mean, I think I am a little bit of a victim of what I've seen, not being able to close Pandora's box of seeing Jamie's true emotion and true like sense of humanity that's built up in there somewhere. But I think when I'm first, I think when I was first watching this, I was like, fuck Jamie Lannister. 
So, oh my god, mercifully, we've made it here finally. Three started casts, and I'm so glad that this is working out that we didn't get another disconnection. That was really a big, big pain in the ass. I apologize for that earlier in the in the day. And if uh, anyone's wondering that's just watching this for the first time, this was actually three parts that we, I, we had to restart. The first part with Joe. Second part was very short. Most of that was just my own podcast of just babbling and doing a uh, doing doing a this week in TV. And and now this last part and things seem to be staying together as we bring as we get into our final scene of the episode. And <laughs> whew, Joe and I talked a lot about the, about this at the beginning. And this was to me one of the most again intense scenes ever on a show. And it was really really fucking intense. And sorry, I'm just making sure that the audio recording's working. And we're not getting cut off here. Because <laughs> I've been running the audio recording for like three hours. <laughs> Come on, audio recording. We got to get to Ned Stark. We got to get to Ned Stark audio recording. Okay. So we're in King's Landing. And and Arya is living rough on the streets. She catches a pigeon and tries to trade it for a slice of bread to no avail. The guy's like, get out of here, you whatever, you little tough you street person, you know, no bread for you. She asked for day old bread. She can't get it. And ultimately, this all leads to her hearing people screaming that the hand of the king is being brought out in front of the people. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Let's jump, jump in the chat quickly as I wait to see about, about this. Sorry, guys. I am pausing for one second here. Record, motherfucker. Push record. <laughs> My computer's having a schizoid embolism at the moment. You're having, she's having a schizoid embolism. Kaylana says, somebody did a good essay that, uh, that by book five or six, uh, seasons five or six, Jamie's maturing to use his reputation as a tool to negotiate and threaten and talk rather than his thoughtless acting first because he can't, because he can't fight a sword duel. I can remember being shocked over Ned's head situation. And I think it's I think it's worth mentioning too that it's going to be fun to see Jamie this season on the show because we're going to get a lot of the stuff that we get in the books with Jamie done in this season. I want to kind of talk I don't want to talk about it too much cuz I don't want to spoil it, but it seems like we're going to get a lot of Jamie and the Riverlands story going on in this coming season, which should be a lot of fun, uh, simply to see more of Jamie's growth. Because it seems like in the Dorn stuff we got in season five, he was still trying in some ways to be the old Jamie Lannister and fight and use his sword first. And it's gonna be fun to see to see that change. Uh, the baker runs off and Arya just leaves the food unstolen. Yeah, she doesn't even, she doesn't even eat. She just runs off. Here we go. Recording again. Let's see if that works. Come on, motherfucker. Please record. Okay. Recording seems to be moving. We're back to recording. <laughs> Fucking A, man. The, my computer's reaching that, you, you know, when computers start to reach that bitter end and they start just like fucking up all the time. And, uh, my, uh, my audio recording program keeps fucking up all the time. It's like, da, 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 you cannot record three hour podcasts on this program, motherfucker. 
Oh, Dorn, do we have to go back there? Least favorite part of season five, despite its great potential. And I agree. If you look at my things I'm looking forward to in season five, Dorn was like at the top of that list. I felt bad about saying that. It's horrible. Uh, and it does seem like we're going to go back there. What I do hope is that they learn from some of the mistakes that we get more Doran and Doran and Dorn and less Sand Snakes is what I'm hoping. Because I love my Dr. Julian Bashir back there. And I would love to see them not horribly underuse his talents like they did in season five. So here we go into the scene. Uh, Arya ends up cuddling up next to the statue of Baylor. And uh, Ned gets brought out in front of the people. And uh, Ned sees Yorin, spots Arya immediately, and grabs Yorin as he's being kept, uh, pulled up there. And he says to him, Baylor, Baylor. First, I didn't know what he said until one of the more recent watches. And I thought he, I thought like he was Arya. Look, Arya. And I was like, How did he find Arya? And he ends up whispering to him. Uh, uh, Baylor to look at the statue and he turns and Yorin sees Arya standing there and uh, Ned gets brought up onto the stage. The crowd is going to uproar, booing for him, yelling traitor, traitor, traitor. Arya, Cersei sits there smiling with her smug look being ha ha ha, fuck you Ned Stark, I have you here, ha ha ha, in my clutches. You're going to the wall and never going to bother me again, ha ha ha. We get Pizel being his usual penis self in the scene, and uh, Baylor is merciful though, and let's let's give this guy mercy, is what ultimately gets decided. And we already talked about this earlier. Joffrey does not deal with this. So long as I am your king, treason shall never go unpunished. Oh, excuse me. <coughs> Bring me his head. <laughs> For some reason, those two quotes, all they did was, they should have just put it out as, I'm downloading this from a site that has uh, quotes from the episode. They should have had that as one long quote because all they did was take out the word uh, Sir Illin, the, uh, the name Sir Illin, when Joffrey goes, Sir Illin, bring me his head. That's all they took out. And uh, once... Once done, save everything and just shut down. Restart your computer to clear the catch and memory clogged and slow things down. Clean your hardware and temporary files. Thank you, Kaylana. I'll absolutely do that. It's probably just that. Like, I, I didn't shut down my computer last night and it was on all night. So I probably just need to, you know, reset everything. And that's why it's freezing up a little bit. Or sometimes it's as simple as just starting a new file instead of just erasing and constantly opening the same file and editing on it. A little inside, a little inside the podcast, but whatever. Uh, these peasants in King's Landing awful, always seem to be low-life, bloodthirsty bastards. DB says, I wasn't shocked in the show because I knew what was happening. But when I first read this chapter the first time, I was like, what the fuck? Uh, what do you, Lynch Troll asked, what do you think would have happened if Ned went to the wall? Would he have stayed there, gone back to Winterfell to call the Bannermen? <sighs> okay. So I'm going to save that question, but I will, I'll answer that question in a second. So we all know what happens here. Ned's head gets chopped off. The episode ends right as Ned's head gets chopped off and everything goes to black. We talked about this a lot at the beginning. And that is the end of the episode. The birds flying off as Arya. Don't look, boy. Don't look, boy. You're not a smart boy. <laughs> Joe's favorite part. And she ends up watching anyways. And we see the birds flying over. It's awful. And it all happens. And everyone's in shock. Varys is in shock. Littlefinger's in shock. Cersei's in shock. And no one can deal with what's going on. And Ned is the only one just who's very accepting. And lets it happen. Or it doesn't, he hasn't, doesn't have a choice in the matter. Would Ned have stayed at the wall if he had gone to the wall? Um, 
would would Mormont have forced him to take the vows just on an order from King's Landing? Or would they have let him just go back to Winterfell? That's an interesting question in the sense, like, was Euron there to take Ned Stark? Would, did Cersei call Euron there, Euron there to be like, take this prisoner to the wall and make him take his vows? Once they got into the north, I doubt Ned would have been forced to take his vows. Would they have sent guards with him up until the wall and made him do it? But I don't know if maybe Ned's honor bound by his sentencing and uh, and like like a shapeshifter, like if Odo was a prisoner, you know, Odo would stay in the prison, even though he could get out of it. Odo is a shapeshifter uh, from Deep Space Nine. But so those of you who are like, Odo, what the fuck are you talking about? So ultimately, I think Ned probably would have taken the black the black just because he agreed to the plan. So he's a man of his word. The Lannisters aren't the only ones that keep their word. Ned Stark keeps his word. But ultimately, I doubt that the people at the at Castle Black would make Ned take the black. Would have been interesting to see him and Thorne together at the at, on the wall, though. That would be an interesting pairing. Ned would have gone to the wall, done his duty, and been killed by a group of rapers, thieves, because he's making them do their do their do, duty well. Um, Lindstrom says, "I guess this did bother me because I've always skipped it, but recently watched it and replying to see details and saw Ned looking for Arya and Cersei yelling at Joffrey. It's uh wait, I guess I guess this did bother me uh, because I have always skipped it, but recently watched it." replying to see uh, to see the details and I saw Ned looking for Arya and Cersei yelling at Joffrey. Yeah, we're at right right at the end when Ned's like looking and he misses her and he looks at the statue and he sees that she's not there and Cersei is screaming at Joffrey, "Don't do it. Don't do it." At, like the top of her top of her lungs. Yeah, and the crows were crawling all through the show. Blood makes blood, the grass goes greener. Oh gosh. Oh my god. Echo, echo, holy crap. And that is our episode of Game of Thrones. Ned Stark is dead. Do we really think this was going to happen from the very beginning of the series? All jokes aside about jumping in the time machine, playing the game, we said this enough. I did not know this was going to happen the first time I watched this. And even after I watched it, I was convinced there was a problem, something, something wrong. They didn't just do this. And they did. And they set the scene for a million reaction videos and set the scene for what would become the iconic Game of Thrones episode nine shit that happens, which got broken in a sense in season five, where it was episode eight was hard home. Yes, episode eight was hard home. But ultimately, it's this was the moment where Game of Thrones went from being a blip on the map to exploding. Where it was like, oh, did you see that Game of Thrones? It became, to use the expression that gets overused sometimes, water cooler show. And it was really in this moment with Ned Stark. The show was amazing up until this point, but this was the holy shit moment that really got everything going. So it's really fun to talk about this. Next week or the week after, I have to talk to Joe and see when we're free. We're going to do episode 10 of season one and then we will finish off we'll get it finished we'll be done with season one of game of thrones and get into starting our season two recaps really excited to get into season two because that's really kind of foreign material for me again because it's been a long time since i've watched it so i'm really excited to get into that stuff just get a couple more comments before we go uh 
Farquaad's still upset. <laughs> Sam says, yeah, the first time I saw it, I was completely shocked and unexpected. DB, as you said in previous podcast, episode seven, he made too many dumbass mistakes, but I wish he was still alive. I absolutely agree. Whoever that guy in episode seven was smart, man. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I He did. He, he, you can't say that this wasn't at least hugely his fault for getting himself in the situation. I, the part of that pizza, I, some of it would go to Joffrey because he was scared, you know, crazy and needed that last slice of pizza. But, <laughs> but ultimately Ned Stark is responsible for a lot of what's happened to him. Uh, broke the internet as they say now. Uh, Sam says she's still having the feels about it. DB uh, uh, says, I love the Starks and their deaths all get to me. Sam says, yeah, D, I completely agree with you. There are several moments, episode to episode, where he could have saved his life. I love Rob, like Cat, love Ned. Don't care for the rest of the Starks, says Sam. DB, Jon Snow, I know all the theories, my favorite of all time. Oh, gosh. I think ultimately if we're doing it, my two favorite characters, uh, I have to do three. My favorite characters are Tyrion, uh, Tyr- oh God, it's so tough. Tyrion, Jon Snow, and Varys are probably my if gun to my head favorite Game of Thrones characters. That other people that are really, really close would be Tywin. Uh, fucking oh gosh, it's it's so hard to say. I I do like Rob a lot, but I wouldn't put him in my top group. I would put Littlefinger in my top group. Uh, but really, those three, uh, Ned Stark, I would definitely put my top through Robert Baratheon. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, Jorah, I really like Jorah when it really comes down to it, too. Uh, but ultimately, I think I think those three are probably my favorite characters. I just can't get enough of Varys. Seeing Varys and Tyrion interact in any moment that they can interact and seeing, and I just, I can relate to a lot of Jon Snow being a bastard myself. I can relate. I can relate to it growing up in an area where I was one of the only bastards around. So I, so I can kind of relate to his, his plight, but, but yeah, that's not to say anyone I didn't mention. I don't dislike. There's a few characters I dislike on game of Thrones, but ultimately those are my three favorites. <clears throat> and I did hear, read your post about that fire cloud. Uh, Lynch Stroh says Tyrion season one, Barristan and John. Oh, uh, that wedding that's coming up in season three. I can't narrow it down. That's why I have five, says Sam. Kaylana, bye. Catch you to gab a few minutes and reviews of shows I don't watch. See you later, Kaylana. Talk to you. Thank you so much for coming back for our Game of Thrones. And thank you for all the talk back and forth on Twitter and the Deep Space Nine, the fall and help. I can't wait to get into that and checking checking that out and watching some of those videos. It's really awesome to get to talk to you every week. Bill is a Targaryen. Oh, possibly. I maybe. I hope I I hope I can uh I hope I am the dragon. Don't awake the dragon, guys. Don't. <laughs> oh my gosh. I am truly a Targaryen. My father was a Tar my so that's what happened. I now know. I now know who my real father is. Can my father be Aemon Targaryen though? Can can he be the guy? <laughs> Can he be? Can he have before he took his took his uh took his oath, a tryst he had with my mother? <laughs> if you had to join what house, uh, what house would I pick? CDB. Uh, <clears throat> probably, probably uh the Tyrells or <laughs> the Tyrells or the Dorn or uh, the Martell house, simply because of the Dornish or the High Garden weed. <laughs> would probably be close uh but realistically speaking i i probably 
I house Mormont would be interesting. I think I, I'm it's cold though. Bear Island's very cold. So I would probably, that's why I'm saying high garden or Dorn too, because I'm like a, even though I live in Boston, I really hate the winter and I hate the cold. So I probably want to stay out of the North if I had choice. So I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with high garden because that describes me the best. <laughs> so everybody I guess this is a good a time as any to call this a day. Let me let me rewind the, the beginning so I have a whole. Everybody, thank you so much for joining me today, joining us. Thank you to Joe who joined us in the early part of the podcast, and thank you everybody that's joined us through the three podcasts. I'm going to take down all these videos. None of these will be posted right away. I'm going to take them down and then try to put them all together and edit them as soon as I can, and then upload it all as one big podcast as soon as possible. And hopefully the audio recording will work as well. And hopefully we won't have technical problems next time. It seems like it's not necessarily the rule, but occasionally we have these technical issues. So it happens. <laughs> Everybody, thank you so much. If you want to reach me, you can follow me on Twitter at I Got Issues Man. Tweet me over there. You can find me on Facebook if you search The Issues Guy or Friends of the Issues Program or Phil's Recap and Review. You can check out our chat wing chat room. Chat room backslash I Got Issues Man for anyone that can't get into the chats. You can always reach us in the the Google community that we have going on. It seems to be growing a lot of cool conversation going on in there. You can always call and leave voicemail 781-990-8509. Find the links to the audio feeds in the description box below as well. Lots of other fucking ways to find us. If you haven't already, you enjoyed this video. I guess it doesn't matter. But when you watch it as a whole, when you see me post it, comment on it and like it. Because it really does nothing if you like this one. Because <laughs> this is just going to get deleted soon. But no, but I appreciate that. But, but keep an eye out for the video being posted later. And if you're watching this video at this point and you've enjoyed this and you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button so you can figure out when we go live and when we do all of our shows. And you can join us and join the best chat in the world and all of our good friends always in here discussing whether it's 220, 200 of you. It's always so much fun getting to talk to you guys and getting to enjoy all these shows with you and i do know i did hear what you said the read theory uh far cloud i'm running out of music time here so but i do think that's an interesting theory and i think it makes a lot of sense considering how close their father was with ned and how he has so much of a connection with that that could be a description i think the r plus l equals j thing is too simple and everyone knows about it so there needs to be some variations to that so I do think it's interesting that all this other stuff's coming out. And I could absolutely see that being a thing. I do hope Holland Reed and the Reeds have a lot more to play in the end game of our story. Love all of you. Talk to you soon.